0: once vast fish populations. Gone, too, are most of the old-growth forests and rainforests that once occupied large stretches of the planet's surface. Most were raised to grow food for the nine billion. Some have been destroyed to provide living space for the hundreds of millions of climate refugees displaced by an average global sea level rise of about two feet. Gone, too, are the Arctic ice pack, the indigenous peoples who inhabited it, and the polar bears, sea lions, and many other species that lived in the far north. This, then, is the climate and population stability that the international community set at its goal in Paris way back in 2015. It's the time you've likely heard about many t- it's the future you've likely heard about many times and perhaps promoted without fully understanding what it would really be like. Net zero carbon emissions means that the rise in atmospheric CO2 has stopped but at historically unprecedented levels. Will humanity survive on a planet where the climate patterns that all living things that have have relied on for 12,000 years have permanently changed? Where the last of the large fish and wild animals are on a path to extinction, and where human activity has taken over nearly all the land needed for diverse ecosystems? We might, but we might not. We don't know. We can't know. The path of humankind in this scenario is a risky one from which there may be no turning back. Fortunately, there's another future still available to humankind. It's New Year's Day 2050. Last month, December 2049, NASA's observatory on Mauna Loa, Hawaii, reported that atmospheric carbon dioxide had dropped back below 300 parts per million for the first time since 1910, finally returning to levels that humans have survived long-term. We're back at a safe harbor, the climate range in which humanity spent its history. We made it. The age of climate catastrophe is over. People celebrate with fireworks and parties across the globe. We've overcome the existential threat posed by runaway climate change and restored a climate that will allow humanity to survive, to survive and flourish. To be sure, the disruption of climate by human activity has left its mark on the planet. Some peoples who inhabited island nations or the Arctic tundra have had to relocate and may never return. Some coastal regions have been flooded. We've paid a price for decades of delay. But the worst potential effects of climate change have been averted. In most regions, farmers now know when to plant again. Harvests are reliable again. The coral reefs are well on the road to full recovery. So are the fisheries on which much of humankind depends. The hellscape of huge wildfires that once dominated the American West is now a fading memory. The one billion men, women, and children who live in regions of Asia, Africa, and the Americas that were threatened by catastrophic flooding and who expected to become climate refugees can now remain home in safety. Extinction rates of plant and animal species have returned to their pre-industrial levels. From this vantage point, it's difficult to recall a time when the concept of climate restoration was an unfamiliar one. Decades ago, during the first half century of climate action, few in the scientific community discussed climate restoration it wasn't until 2015 that anyone proposed it as a serious policy goal it wasn't until 2022 that a concerted effort was launched to convince policy leaders to make it a priority yet now just 28 years later it has been accomplished the first scenario described above the one in which we achieve net zero emissions yet still suffer unpredictable and potentially disastrous long-term impacts from climate change is rarely invoked in the popular discourse, yet it's all too plausible. In fact, if we stay on the current path, it's absolutely predictable. In private conversations, I've heard many scientists and other experts acknowledge the possibility of hideous social dislocations and possible extinction of the human race, even if we do achieve net zero emissions by 2050. But very few are willing to say so in public. The book is Climate Restoration, the only future that will sustain the human race by Peter Faikowski and Carol Douglas. Did you know that every weekday we send out an email before the show giving you all the topics coming up so you could be fully informed and ready to interact with our program? Or that after the show we send out Sue's stack, a list of every topic I've discussed along with clickable hot links to every source of information I've shared with you on the air? It's all completely free and available over at tom.tv, T-H-O-M.TV. Check it out. Welcome back. You want an insight into the bizarre workings of the Republican mind these days. Laura Logan, the conservative, uh, used to be a journalist, now a crackpot, um, was on Steve Bannon's uh, little podcast show. And uh, she said, and I quote, this country was a Christian nation from the beginning. It was established as a Christian nation. It was established on the principles of Judeo-Christian civilization. But there are not 400 religions in America at the time of its founding. There was one, and that was Christianity. Apparently, never, nobody ever told her about uh, Benjamin Ishmael, who fought with George Washington, or Bampet Muhammad, who fought for the Virginia Line. Or Peter Salem, who became a major hero when he was able to kill British Major John Pitcairn in the Battle of Bunker Hill, and then later served as a commander of the Battles of Saratoga and the Battle of Stony Point. Or Salem Poor, a Muslim uh, slave who purchased his freedom in 1769 for 27 pounds and shortly left to join the Confederate Army. He was recognized for his bravery at the General Court in Massachusetts in 1775. He was credited with killing British Lieutenant Colonel Abercrombie a whole bunch of Muslims who fought for our country. Apparently she doesn't know about that, but then then it gets really weird. Then she starts saying, well, Native Americans, you know, their religion wasn't really a religion. She says, and you know what? These groups conquered other groups, and they massacred each other. They massacred each other. They did the exact same thing. They didn't just win. They just didn't win, and that's what no one talks about, she said. Well, yeah, there were some Indian wars, but... By and large, North America was a fairly peaceful place at first contact in the 1600s, um, late 15 or throughout the 1500s actually, and it's well documented. I mean, it's in my book, *The, the Hidden History of American Democracy*, at some length uh, about the Native American tribes. But just this whole chauvinistic idea that the the only uh, the, the the only group out there that is capable of Uh, Having an honest religion or Christian. This is crazy. By the way, Mitch McConnell is giving a speech right now. He's saying that he's going to step down as Senate leader uh, in November. Uh, This is going to be interesting. There's going to be an interesting scramble there among Republicans. So, what's on your mind today? Let's pick up your call. Sean in Stamford, Connecticut. Hey, Sean, what's up?
1: Oh, hi. Uh, You sort of stole my thunder, Tom. I I was going to mention the thing about Michigan. Mm-hmm. And what happened here locally on the news, uh, our CDS station here, basically, you mentioned exactly what you said about how they praised Trump and, like, and um, diminished Biden, despite Biden doing much better than advertised. Yeah. And uh, Farron Cousins mentioned that on his uh show on YouTube this morning, mm-hmm. so good going on, on your part for nudging that.
2: Yeah, and but Fern's was, a good it guy. It's disgusting I, I, I to like know
1: that. that the station here in New York is owned by the network, not owned by Sinclair or some other the outfit. Mm-hmm. So the network should be more out there saying, hey, this is now." They've, they've got their narrative. They're telling they, the, the lie
0: the, to tell the truth. Yeah, the American press, which makes its money based on how many people watch, you know, on clickbait, basically. they make They, they make their money on on eyeballs and clicks, and they know that the word Trump, the name Trump, draws eyeballs and clicks. It's just that simple. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you, you see this on left-wing media, you see it on right-wing media, you see it right across the board. And the reason is fairly obvious. I mean, as humans, we are wired to be wary of threat. You know, I keep using this metaphor, but I think it's a good one. You know, if, you're, if we were sitting in, in your backyard having, having uh, you know, a barbecue or something, and uh, sitting around the table and a poisonous snake was slithering around in the grass, suddenly all of us would be paying attention to the snake rather than what anybody was saying or how the quality of the burgers, right? Um, you know, we are wired for threat and Trump is a threat. He's a threat to American democracy. He's a, a threat to, to the established order. He's a threat to law and order. He's, he's and, and so, you know, we can't stop talking about him. And when his name shows up, we, we are forced to pay attention to it because it's a very real and danger and present threat but but the media yeah, are downplaying that tremendously that, at least tell the truth yeah yeah they really should i mean biden did better than expected yesterday and only slightly worse than barack obama did when he was being condemned not for policy positions but for being black you know by by michigan democratic voters and and and, and, and trump underperformed he you know he he only got 60% of the vote i mean he's 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 losing again to haley it's But the media will not tell you that. I, I, you know, I I suppose the good news, Sean, is that it will be easier for Biden to beat Trump than it will be for him to beat Haley, uh, knock wood. And uh, at least according to all the polling and conventional wisdom right now. So if the media is hell bent for leather to have another Trump, you know, uh, Biden rematch because they think that will make them the most amount of money. You know, if they think back to Les Moonves, the president of CBS, telling his investors, you know, keep it up, Donald. It's bad for America, but you're making a pile of money for CBS. If they're committed to that, it probably means that the outcome will be that Joe Biden is president again for another four years. But we'll see. Sean, thank you for the call. Malcolm in Bluebell, Pennsylvania. Hey, Malcolm, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, two quick
3: real real quick points with. In regards to Trump and the classified documents, our society is so broken that even if he sold them to another country, I think the MAGA base, as well as politicians, would just say it's capitalism and he's a smart businessman. I and agree. so forget about national security. He's going to keep us safe. He said he would. And it would be a non-issue, as it is to this day. They're not really threatened by any of the lost, lost documents. If anything, they're pushing for immunity. Yeah regardless of who was a member of Mar-a-Lago and, you know, even the fingerprints on these documents. That's just my my point number one. Secondly, uh, a couple weeks ago you were talking about Texas and a law about having an ID, and you thought that it was for voting on the population in Texas, like and somewhat of a new voting law. But I just want to tell you, in California and many other states, it's illegal for someone over the age of 18 to be outside without identification, and I think it has to be more with um, if you're caught without ID, but police and they make contact with you, they can arrest you until they determine
0: who you are. Yeah, that's, that's not, that does not mean that it's illegal to be out without ID. It means that if they believe that you've committed a crime, which they would have to do, they would have to establish some basis for stopping you. And if they well, believe nowadays, you committed a crime, and you don't have identification, they can hold you until they identify you. That, that's a completely different thing than saying, it's illegal to be out with that ID.
3: Well, with Arizona, you have the law where you had to prove who you were, but we knew who that.
0: Yeah, that law got overturned. To show your papers, Senate Bill right. 1029.
3: And it's the same with the stock and frisk in New York, which was ruled unconstitutional, but it exactly. very well still happens. And then when law enforcement pulls you over, all they really have to do, they document the cases of the officers simply saying, I smelled marijuana. Right. Even if the windows were up. No, I get it. You know,
0: cops are really good at, at, at lying, <laughs> I mean, you know, at breaking right. the law if they want to take somebody down. I, I totally get that. But I, I don't think that you can say that, that you know people are not allowed to go out without ID. But is, is that what you called about? It says here you called about Trump's classified documents, Malcolm.
3: Yeah, I was just, I made that one already, just in terms of our base, the society being so lost that they would almost justify if he stole the documents. That's all. Oh, Much like they yeah, yeah, that's like the right. of the locker room talk. Yeah, when yeah. he said, I grabbed him by the crotch, the media just said, oh, that's just locker room talk. Right. And they probably would say he had a hall pass in the Stormy Daniels case, so it's okay yeah. that, you yeah. know, his wife was pregnant because he had a hall pass. It's all you good. know what's
0: just breathtaking is, can you imagine, Malcolm, either Joe Biden or, or Barack Obama doing any of these things? I mean, it would Absolutely. instantly disqualify them. Why do we have such different standards in the United States for Democrats and Republicans? It's like the media just expects right. Republicans to lie and cheat and steal. And when Democrats come anywhere close to it, it's like a total freakout. It's like, oh, my God, how did you know, Gary Hart I was pictured with a with a girl. I mean, it's it's just it's right. nuts. It's nuts. Malcolm, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Uh, interesting. Les in Winnemucca, Nevada. Hey, Les, what's on your mind today?
4: Good morning Good to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Back at you. I just wanted to say that uh, I think the uh, president should really come out and have a, you know, do a prime time thing, come on TV and just come out and say, you have got to stop. You've got to stop it now, or you're going to be in a position where we're going to have to cut off any aid for you at all.
0: You're talking. we you have
4: to let. Yeah, Israel, yeah. and you're going to have to let, and you're going to have to let aid in. Yeah, and we you know, I you, agree. I've true. been
0: saying this for weeks now that that we we need to. Uh, yeah, we've got some considerable influence over Israel. Not to mention, I mean, pro- probably the largest among that. Uh, although moral suasion should be important, but the the largest is that we give Israel three billion dollars a year. I mean, that came out of the Camp David Accords that that Jimmy Carter established. That we give. Three billion dollars a year each to Israel and to Egypt, and uh, not to mention all the weapons that we sell them. And Biden should be saying, "No, you know that you, you guys are consider yourself cut off until you get your act together. We we are not going to tolerate any further war crimes in Israel. This is yeah, this is yeah, this is not enough, something that should enough. be
4: happening. Enough, enough! It's like yeah. talking to, like talking about Trump. He's yeah. nuts."
0: Well and, and, and hopefully hopefully the uh, Yeah, thank you, Liz. And hopefully the vote in Michigan, uh, even though it wasn't, you know, a drubbing, it, it, it was a hell of a message. I mean, let's be clear about this. This was a hell of a message. And Biden needs to listen to it. We'll be right back. Forty five minutes past the hour.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archive.
0: Right back with your calls in just a moment. It's the Tom Hartman program, taking back the mainstream media three hours a day, five days a week, right here. Stay with us. And welcome back. Teresa in Bellevue, Washington. Hey, Teresa, thank you for listening to KBCS. What's up?
6: Hi, Tom. Thanks for all your good work. Um, hey, I'm just, I just came following Les's call, and I just want to, it's kind of on the same topic. You know, I have a lot of compassion for what the Jewish people have been through over the thousands of years, everywhere they've been, and the persecution. So I, yep want to say that right up front, but I separate Netanyahu from the Jews. I separate him from even Israeli citizens. Me too. He, he is—I uh, want to start talking about him enacting the final solution for the Palestinian problem. I think we ought to use those words. I think that's what he's doing. I think it's as evil—and, and, you know, you can tell by my voice I'm just in despair about what's going on over there. Yeah. And— um, I know those are strong words but I'm ready to go there
0: yeah no he's 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 now started starving people I mean we are we are now beginning what appears to be a genocide
6: yeah well I think I think we're past that I think it's been that I I I can't think of anything else but his goal is to to have a final solution for the Palestinians
0: yeah I you know I can't dispute that Teresa it's 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 criminal. I mean, it's 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 immoral. It's criminal. It's and 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 worst of all, it's not good for Israel. I mean, there's there's no possible benefit that Netanyahu gets other than staying out of jail for another year or two. If he can hold on to his position as prime minister, there's no possible benefit that he or Israel gets from from killing tens of thousands or, you know, ultimately even hundreds of thousands. We're we're looking now at disease spreading across Gaza. We're looking at famine spreading across Gaza. And and like I said, that that is genocide, and this is the you know we're in the very very early stages of this. And he if he doesn't stop it, if he doesn't if he doesn't you know be, let aid in and start doing something appropriate there, uh, this is I, it's just terrible. Teresa, thank you, thank you for pointing it out. San, Sandra in Sandora, is that am I saying that right? In Seattle? Yes, Sandora. Sandora, what's up?
7: Oh, I wanted
0: to pose
7: a situation. Regarding uh, frozen embryos, mm-hmm. frozen embryos. So let's say there's a burning building, and there's two two rooms in the building. And one room has, like, let's say 30 frozen embryos. The other room has a handful of children under five years old. And you have just enough time to save one room. Which room do you go to?
0: Oh, oh. depends on who you are. And if why, you're Sam Alito, you save the embryos, certainly
7: right? why? What was that?
0: I said it depends on who you are. If you're Sam Alito, you save the embryos.
7: <laughs> well, most people would say the children. I but, know. But however, then my next question would be why? And then and then do you get in trouble for not saving the thirty embryos?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. It's it's it, uh, the the consistent inconsistency of these guys. You know their their uh, positions on these things are just. I don't know. I'm I'm running out of adjectives oh, these good. days. Yeah, <laughs> it's.
7: I have one real quick question. I just got my ballot in the mail, and I already know who I'm going to vote for. But they say they want you to to pick a party. Mm-hmm. If you don't pick a party, will they still count your vote?
0: Uh, in a primary, no. Oh that's okay so a, I mean mind I, mind. I, 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 I don't know Washington state laws so you should check the law in Washington but my understanding is okay. that when you vote in a primary you have to declare which party you're voting for um, so okay yeah it doesn't mean that you're registered okay. that way but um, you know maybe maybe somebody will correct me here who does know Seattle or Washington state law but I don't this is Sandra Sandora thank you. Hey, thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. So right-wing billionaires are major funders of the GOP, and the GOP has been promoting basically a death cult. You've got Ron DeSantis uh, most recently signing a law that eliminates legal liability for medical professionals who refuse to provide services to people. In crisis, if uh, it violates their moral, ethical, or religious convictions, um, the uh, Democrat, the uh, Republican Party has picked up from the Democrats. Uh, actually, ironically, weirdly, you know, uh, the old Dixiecrats, the old Southern racists—they're all they used to be Democrats pr- prior to 1964. But then, you know, the Civil Rights Act, and the Voting Rights Act, and all that—you um, know—and Nixon came in along in '68 with the Southern strategy, and now they're all Republicans. So why are these right-wing billionaires willing to support this death cult? Is it really just about taxes and deregulation? There's a piece about it at thehartmanreport.com. Check it out. Welcome back. Picking up your calls here, James in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, James, what's on your mind today?
8: Thank you, Tom. Um, I served in the old Army Security Agency and some... Precarious places. It would have never crossed my mind that our chief officer, commander in chief, the chief officer of the United States, would give up my position. It, it's a hurtful thought. Would, I would don't sell know why. Your, sell no your fork. details
0: to the, to a foreign government.
8: Uh, yes, and w- we we believe we've lost people over this, yeah. and I want to know what Rand Paul took to Putin. I believe that the. Department of Justice should put Trump and Rand Paul both in custody and start interrogating them. I think there
0: needs to be a grand jury inquiry. We need to to get Uh, to the bottom of this. We need to find out what has happened to these missing documents.
4: Exactly.
8: People are not understanding how important this case is and the damage that this man has already done to our country.
0: Yep. Amen amen james thank you thank yeah, you for uh, my bottom line Bob. thank you very much yep good talking to you thank you my bottom line too james in miami hey uh, james what's on your mind today oh it says miami oklahoma
9: that's
0: yes, right <laughs> okay oklahoma. so what's I up i just want to ask i want to ask you
10: about uh, i think you remember that corporations could not last forever correct when they in most states,
0: started- prior, prior to the 1890s, in most states, corporations had a 20-year lifespan. There were some states where it was 10 years. There were some states where it was 30 years. The unlimited lifespan for corporations really came about, you know, between 1880 and 1910 during what was called the ch- ch- charter-mongering era, which was principally from 1894 to around, eight, uh, to, to around 1900. And that was the result of uh, the federal government moving against Uh, John D. Rockefeller in Ohio saying that the Ohio, uh, Standard Oil of Ohio was an illegal trust. And so Rockefeller went public and he said, I'm leaving Ohio and I will move my business and all of the tax revenue associated with it to whatever state changes their rules so that my corporation can continue doing what it's doing that is currently illegal in Ohio. And New Jersey won his business, although Delaware actually went even farther than New Jersey in terms of stripping corporate laws. But that's that's when it happened, and why and how.
10: Okay, uh, I just don't know how we got to be corporations or people.
0: Yeah, well, the Supreme Court decided that. Uh, they well, did not we- actually decided in 1886, but later they they quoted the headnote and said, yeah, corporations are per- persons, and and now you know they've tripled down on it with uh, most recently the Bilotti decision in uh, 1978, which said that uh, corporations can even buy politicians. And then, of course, Citizens United was the was the ultimate thing. James, did I answer your question?
10: Yes, you did. Okay. I've got one more thing. I've heard sure. you talk about, you know, jokingly, that Trump the Antichrist. There's a, for all the Christians out there the, that want to check this out, there's a Bible scholar. I don't know if he's a preacher, but he's on YouTube, and he's got 15 Bible verses that indicate Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Even his logo, which is that giant T, he says is a, uh, a, a contradiction of the Bible. You know, the uh, Christian cross. Huh. But he's got it all laid out. They can, you know, you have to. It, it, they said God put the Antichrist here so that Christians could get their faith. What's this guy's and, name? Uh, I don't know Tom' his name, but. It's on YouTube, you can find it if you go 15 Bible verses that indicate Trump as the Antichrist.
4: Right,
10: it's on there. It was, and he's got the Bible verses. and I would suggest that people just read the Bible verses and find out, you know, indicate it for yourself because that's what that's why the Antichrist is here. It's so the Christians can save themselves and see through this thing. Yeah, it may be important to a lot of Christians that. You know, they try to live by the Bible, and if they read their Bible, they can... To me, it makes perfect sense, but... Yeah. Well, I'm going to track the guy down,
0: James. (laughs) You've got my curiosity going here. I just made a note about it. Thank you very much. I've got got to move along, but thank you, James, for the call. Uh, Alice in Olympia, Washington. Hey, Alice, what's on your mind today?
2: Hello, Tom. This morning, I checked my bank account, uh, and normally on the fourth Wednesday of the month, we get a deposit for my husband from Social Security for $467. Mm-hmm. This morning, I noticed there was a deposit for him of
4: $351.
2: So I called Social Security and told them the situation, that they had gotten 351 And he said— Is it said, because your oh, Medicare
0: premium went up?
2: Uh, he said, We'll check again on Sunday. And I said, is that related to the government shutdown? And he said, check again on Sunday. Hmm. And I'm just curious if anyone else has run into that, that they're only getting partial deposits of our Social Security I, just made no sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I doubt it's that. My guess, Alice, uh, you know, Medicare just had an increase in their premiums. And that increase, I believe, took effect in February, um, which is this oh. month. So, you know, you might be paying eight or ten bucks a month, or whatever the difference is between those two amounts, more for your Medicare now, and that's automatically deducted from your Social Security before it shows up in your checking account. That's my best guess.
2: This is one hundred and this
0: is one hundred and ten dollars. One hundred and ten. Wow, that's a lot of money.
2: From four sixty-seven to three fifty-one.
0: Yeah. Well, when you find out what's going on, would you call me back and let me know? I will do that. Thanks, Tom. Thanks a lot, Alice. You know, I'm 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 just speculating here, and I'm always very uncomfortable when I'm speculating. So, uh, we'll be back on the other side of this break. Is same sex sex marriage on Sam Alito's hit list? You betcha. I'll tell you the details on that. And also, Fonnie Willis, what the hell is going on with this judge down in Georgia?
5: You're listening
11: to Tom Hartman. In a recent congressional hearing on America's so-called labor shortage, mega banker Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase offered this insight. People actually have a lot of money, and they don't particularly feel like going back to work. Uh, Jamie, most people are living paycheck to paycheck. And since COVID-19 hit, millions have lost their jobs, savings, and even homes. So they're not exactly lollygagging around the house counting their cash. Instead of listening to the uber-rich class ignorance of Diamond, who pocketed $35 million in pay last year, Congress ought to be listening to actual workers explain why they're not rushing back to the jobs being offered by restaurant chains and such. They would point out that there's no labor shortage. There's a wage shortage. More fundamentally, there's a fairness shortage. It was not lost on restaurant workers, for example, that while millions of them were jobless last year, Their corporate CEOs were grabbing millions, buying yachts, and living large. Yet, more than half of laid-off restaurant workers couldn't even get unemployment benefits because their wages had been too low to qualify. Then, there's the high risk of COVID exposure for restaurant employees, an appalling level of sexual harassment in their workplace, and demeaning treatment from abusive bosses and customers. No surprise, then, that more than half of employees said in a recent survey that they're not going back to those jobs. After all, even a dog knows the difference between being stumbled over and being kicked. To get the workers they need, corporate giants should try the free enterprise solution right at their fingertips. Raise pay, improve conditions, and show respect. Create a place where people want to work. This is Jim Hightower saying, for a straightforward view from workers themselves, go to the advocacy group, onefairwage.site. You're
10: listening to X-Ray FM. That's KXRY Portland at 91.1 and
12: 107.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at X-Ray.FM.
13: The Public News Service Daily Newscast, February the 28th, 2024. I'm Mike Clifford. Most school and transit buses on the nation's roadways these days are still powered by diesel engines. In Wisconsin and elsewhere, there is hope about the push to switch to electric fleets.
14: The city of Racine has made headlines in recent years for leveraging federal funds to add more electric buses operated by its transit agency. And through the bipartisan infrastructure law, school systems like the Palmyra Eagle District have used federal grants to buy a handful of buses fitted with such technology. Susan Mudd is with the Environmental Law and Policy Center, a Midwest-based advocacy group. She says it's encouraging to see this activity, knowing the benefits that come with it.
15: The children or the riders on buses, including the drivers, will experience zero tailpipe emissions, which they now do because fumes, unfortunately, often get recirculated into buses.
14: These models also prevent harmful emissions from floating through neighborhoods, especially when buses are idled. Mudd says this has a positive effect on human health as well as mitigating climate change, but even with federal support, she acknowledges there are still upfront cost barriers in securing
13: electric buses. I'm Mike Mowen. In late 2022, Wisconsin received more than twenty-five million dollars in federal support to replace sixty-five diesel school buses around the state with electric ones. And French President Emmanuel Macron has openly discussed the possibility of sending European troops to Ukraine to help Kiev win the war against Russia. CNN calls it a potential major escalation to the largest ground war Europe has seen since World War II. They add the possibility of Western democracies putting boots on the ground in Ukraine remains remote. Macron's comments following a summit in support of Ukraine. Next, an update on an issue we care a lot about, keeping newspapers alive. The University of Iowa's daily newspaper has purchased two small town papers as part of an attempt to keep local news alive in rural Iowa. Experts who study the practice of
14: journalism say this acquisition might be the first of its kind. The U of I student-run newspaper, The Daily Iowan, bills itself as an independent student paper with an audience of about 50,000 run by 100 student employees. It just bought the Mount Vernon Lisbon Sun and the Solon Economist. Richard Watts directs the University of Vermont Center for Community News, which analyzes the impact of student-run journalism operations. He says this could be a solution
10: to shoring up local news deserts. Across the country, we're losing two newspapers a week. It's a tremendous crisis. Some 80 million Americans have no
13: source of local news. I'm Mark Moran. This is Public News Service. A House bill aimed at increasing access to mental health care in Michigan could go to a vote on the House floor at any time. More from our Farah Siddiqui.
2: The bill was introduced in 2023 by Representative Felicia Brayback, who is a clinical psychologist and says it prioritizes treatment recommendations for mental health and substance use patients, instead of allowing only insurance companies to make decisions for an individual's care. Brayback says HB 4707 would also enable insurance companies to find an out-of-network option if an in-network option is unavailable and without extra cost to the patient.
15: The insurance companies have their own proprietary criteria when they are making the decisions about should people have access to services or not. And I think that they should use the same clinical criteria that we do. You know, like if a doctor says this is what's necessary for a client, then that should be attended to.
2: Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan has spent more than $75 million in lobbying efforts over the last two decades. In an email statement, the company said it opposes this legislation but remains committed to working with policymakers.
13: Now from our Deborah Smith, Pennsylvania is a major source of greenhouse gas pollution in the U.S., A new study has identified a path for its industries to reduce their emissions by 80% by 2050.
16: But additional efforts are needed to achieve this goal in the industrial sector. This roadmap to industrial decarbonization outlines specific strategies for each type of industry in the state to lower their carbon footprint. Report co-author Joe Goodenberry says nearly 60 percent of emissions come from fossil fuel combustion and natural gas accounts for roughly two-thirds of the fuel consumption in the sectors.
17: We're examining emissions from all notable industrial subsectors, including fossil fuel extraction
18: and delivery, uh, iron and steel, minerals, chemicals, refining, pulp and paper,
19: and glass, among many others.
13: Finally, Eric Tegadoff tells us the remote landscape of southeastern Oregon is receiving additional protections.
19: The Bureau
18: of Land Management has finalized its resource management plan for the southeast corner of the state, and it includes protections for parts of the Owyhee and Malheur rivers and canyon lands in the region. Michael O'Casey with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership says it's an exciting development that will protect this sensitive landscape from activities like service development and road building.
8: When that landscape is impacted, it's really hard to bring it back and restore it, and so it's really important to protect the places out there that are healthy and intact and resistant and resilient the term that we use to stresses from climate change or whatever else.
18: OKC says this plan still allows for traditional uses of the land like hunting and fishing. The BLM's final resource management plan for the district covers 4.6 million acres of public land.
13: This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service, member and listener supported. Here's our great radio station's your favorite podcast platform. Find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.
0: Welcome back to the uh, second hour of our program, Same-Sex Marriage. You know, the, the Supreme Court ratified this across the nation. So even in right-wing red states, you know, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, if, if you're gay, you can get married. And Sam Alito is very, very unhappy about this. Now, this is—I this is, I, I will be surprised if this lasts another year, frankly. I mean, look at, look at what they have been doing. Look at what they have said. In, um, in uh, Ob- Ob- Obergefell uh, v. Hodges, in that decision, which legalized or decriminalized, uh, however you want to say it, gay marriage, um, he wrote in his dissent, he wrote, quote, That holding exemplifies the danger that I anticipated in Obergefell, namely that Americans who do not hide their adherence to traditional religious beliefs about homosexual conduct will be labeled as bigots and treated as such by the government. Uh, Justice John Roberts, excuse me, that was in a five-page written statement complaining about uh, Obergefell. In, uh, in Roberts' dissent in Obergefell, he said the right it announces has no basis, the right to gay marriage, has no basis in the Constitution or in this court's precedents. Clarence Thomas weighed in, in his dissent in Obergefell. He said the court's decision today is at odds not only with the Constitution but with the principles upon which our nation was built. Sam Alito, in his dissent in Obergefell, said... Today's decision usurps the constitutional right of the people to decide whether to keep or alter the traditional understanding of marriage. The decision will also have other important consequences. It will be used to vilify Americans who are unwilling to assent to the new orthodoxy. I assume that those who cling to old beliefs will be able to whisper their thoughts in the recesses of their homes, but if they repeat those views in public, they will risk being labeled as bigots and treated as such by governments, employers, and schools. And since then, uh, this uh, op-ed by Bill Bloom over on Common Dreams notes uh, Sam Alito has launched into a crusade to overturn gay marriage. In 2020, he joined Clarence Thomas in a wildly emotional dissent from the court's refusal to take up an appeal filed on behalf of Kim Davis, writes Bill Bloom. That same year, in a speech delivered online to the Federalist Society, Alito complained that America is no longer, quote, inclusive enough to tolerate those with unpopular religious beliefs and that religious liberty is fast becoming a disfavored right. Now, keep in mind, the only reason gay marriage got approved was because Breyer, Kennedy, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg all voted for it. Breyer, Kennedy, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are all gone. And now we've got three right-wing crackpots on the, on the court who are all Catholic and all fundamentalist. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, for example, just passed a law permitting public officials, including judges, to refuse to perform same-sex marriages. And the best guess right now is that that Mississippi law or the, excuse me, that Tennessee law that says you may discriminate, if you're a, a pastor or a justice of the peace or a judge or anybody else who's legally empowered to, to consummate a wedding, if that's you, you may discriminate against people based on, on you know, their gender identity or whatever you want to call this, the, the, the fact that they're gay or lesbian or trans. This is just so wrong. And that case, that Tennessee case, that Tennessee law, I guarantee you, within the next six months, you are going to see that. Somebody's going to sue over that in Tennessee. Some gay couple is going to sue over that, and it's going to go to the Supreme Court. And Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito and Amy Coney Barrett and Neil Gorsuch, the, the, the whole crackpot crowd, Brett Kavanaugh there, and John Roberts, they're going to use that. They're going to use that case. I'm predicting right now. Now, I I realize I'm not always spot on with my predictions, but, you know, more often than not, I am. I am predicting right now that this Tennessee case will be used to overturn gay marriage, which raises the question, what happens then? I mean, right now we're seeing an exodus from red states of women who are of childbearing age simply because they're afraid if they ever get raped and impregnated, they're, they're out of luck. They're gonna be stuck with a rapist baby for the next 18 years. Not to mention the dangers associated with pregnancy and childbirth. So already we have people fleeing those states. You've got people who are fleeing Florida right now because they have trans kids. This is happening in a couple of states that are criminalizing uh, you know, uh, gender affirming care to children. And these people are leaving these states it's like America's going through this sorting right now. We, we kind of went through this in the 60s and 70s around race and schools, you know, and the whole force bushing thing. And, and there was the, uh, a noticeable increase in the essentially resegregation of America. I mean, I remember at the, at the, at the peak of this was during the Reagan presidency, it was 1982. I believe, might have been 83, that Louise and I moved to, New Ham- uh, to Georgia, excuse me, from New Hampshire. We moved down to Georgia. And Louise went out uh, looking for houses. Uh, we both went down independent of each other to, you know, we had a real estate agent to look around. And, and uh, this real estate agent picked Louise up. They had never met before. And uh, her first question to Louise was uh, Do you want to see houses in whites only neighborhoods exclusively? Or are you willing to look at mixed neighborhoods? At which point, Louise said, well, really, I'd like a different real estate agent. But that was, I mean, you know, that was the way it was. So are we going to see now, we're, you know, we've seen this kind of racial sorting of America, then, then we've seen this you know, sorting around trans issues. We're seeing you know, sorting, you know, each one of these issues. Is, is causing, you've, you've also got, I mean, up in Idaho right now, you've got a bunch of wealthy libertarians who have bought a bunch of land on the, on the northwest side of Idaho. They're, they're also trying to take over the uh, northeastern side of Oregon and turn it into one giant new state. You know, they're leaving, they're leaving other states to go to Idaho to try to turn Idaho into a libertarian paradise. How far does this go? And when the Supreme Court finally says, no, gay marriage, we're, we're going to overturn that. You know what's going to happen, of course, is that blue states will recognize gay marriages and red states will say, we don't recognize this anymore. You're not married. At which point married couples, particularly married couples with kids, are going to be in a whole world of hurt. If you're in Mississippi or Texas or Florida or something like that, and suddenly you can't claim tax deductions, you can't you can't sign for your kids. You can't go to the hospital with them. You know all those things. All those parental rights just vanish because you're not married anymore. You're no. You're no longer that child's parent. This is, this is nuts. I, I realize I use that word too much, but I, I. You know this is our time, right? This is this is, this is where we're at right now in America, and this is what's going on. Meanwhile, yesterday was more testimony in the. Uh, uh, you know, the, the public lynching, the public humiliation of Fonnie Willis. Judge Scott McAfee, a member of the Federalist Society, in fact, when he was in college, he was the president of the Federalist Society at the University of Georgia. White guy with a nice smile, Scott McAfee, he looks so friendly. Decided that, hey, let's have a public lynching here. Let's, let's just destroy this black woman prosecutor. Let's destroy her. She, her, never, her life will never be the same. Yesterday, he allowed hearsay testimony about whether she and, and her boyfriend had sex in one of the offices. And the testimony was not even corroborated. I mean, there's no evidence that they did. But he allowed it to go on the record because this, this judge is interested. I mean, he's a Republican. He, he was appointed by Brian Kemp, for God's sake. He is interested in destroying Fannie Willis's reputation. How dare you take on the great orange god? There will be a reckoning. Black people are not allowed to go after white billionaires in America. I mean, you know, Scott McAfee should just wear his Klan robes when he comes into into court uh, today or tomorrow rather than his black robe. I mean, you know, just put on a white robe and a white hat with a couple of eye holes. You know, it'll it'll it would be the perfect. It would match the the atmosphere, right? It's time for some good old fashioned lynching down here in Georgia. I'm just astonished by this too. And Trump now has declared himself off the hook. Last night he was like, "Ah, oh, see proof. This case is over." Over on his Nazi infested social media site. Incredible.
5: This is the Tom Hartman program. In just a moment,
0: I gotta share an amazing geeky science with you about how conservatives think and how to speak to conservatives as a result of knowing how they think. Stay with us. And welcome back. Bill in Esterville, Iowa. My grandmother's name was Esther. What a cool name for a town. Hey, Bill, what's up?
20: Yeah, hi, Tom. Hey, I just wanted to uh, um, make a suggestion to any parents who have a child who excels in athletics at the high school level. Mm -hmm. When they get recruited by uh, universities to play ball, um, they should take a look at several different universities, and then when they make finally say, I'm going to go play for this university, I chose this university because I didn't want to live in a state that's not going to let me vote when I get there. <laughs> I have a stake in the future, and Michigan, I'm comfortable, is going to let me vote where. I really wanted to go to Florida or Alabama, but I'm not going to put up with the hassle of not being able to vote and help decide my own future.
0: Yeah, I just, I just saw so you- an op-ed by a, a reporter who specializes in voting issues, who was an immigrant to the United States, became naturalized last year, and registered to vote at her naturalization ceremony. And Texas never acknowledged it. They never processed it. So then she went and to her uh, to the state secretary of state's office and registered to vote again, and they ignored that one too. And finally, on her third try, she got successfully registered to vote. But Texas apparently doesn't want you to register to vote. In fact, last night on yeah. uh, excuse me on MSNBC there, there was somebody on speculating, you know, wondering how is it that Texas? No, it was this morning on Morning Joe. How is it that Texas? is rapidly changing. It's the most urban state in America. It's got four of the 10 largest cities in it. It's got the largest non-white population in the United States. It's uh, got the youngest population in the United States. I mean, Texas is, you know, hitting all the buttons to be a democratic state, to be a blue state. Why is it still a red state? I think the answer is Democrats can't register to vote.
20: Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing that this, uh, would do if we get a few kids saying, "I'm not going to go play ball in Texas or Florida, Alabama." Right. right. Um, you'd be surprised, Tom, how many people don't have any idea that voter suppression is even a thing.
5: Right. Yeah.
2: The um, problem, Bill, is that
0: a, you if, know if you're if you're a kid well, and you're looking at going to a college to play profi- to play sports, you know, on a sports scholarship. You're talking big bucks. You're talking huge opportunity. You're talking life-changing stuff. I can't imagine that any 18-year-old is going to make that decision based on where they're going to be able to vote. I I realize, you know, you and I can get all high and mighty about it, but I I just don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to happen.
20: Well, what what I'm getting at, Tom, is all these universities, they have a newsletter, and they talk about the prospects that are considering coming to play for our university. right? And we get a few kids to say, no, I'm not gonna do that. It will right. get into the newsletters of the university.
0: No, it would, but it, it, but those kids will, they, they will be ruining their future by doing that. That's why I don't think that they'll do it.
20: I, I don't think it'd be ruining your future if you go to school at the University of Michigan. or No, Michigan I'm talking State. about speaking
0: out. The, the right will put a bullet, will put a target, a, a bullseye on your back if you do that. You know that. Look at what happened to to Colin Kaepernick.
20: Yeah, yeah. You know what? I guess I never thought of that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's that's going to be the the challenge. Bill, thanks. Keep thinking. It was a good one. We'll be right back. Change starts with you you can be calling your Democratic or Republican representatives to let them know what you think by calling 202-224-3121. It's the Capitol switchboard. It'll get you right through to them. Welcome back. 21 minutes past the hour. And, uh, you know, we've known for a long time that conservatives sometimes and liberals sometimes just look differently. Right. Conservatives. And, and you know, this is a huge generalization and it's not meant as a negative or positive about anybody. Please don't. There's no judgment associated with this. But conservatives tend to be more clean cut, you know, more high and tight haircuts, you know, more tidy lawns, fewer trees, you know, grass perfectly mown. I mean that the and, and liberals tend to be more, you know, kind of wild haired and and, uh, you know, funky and that kind of and and I always wondered why. You know, what what is this what is driving this? What is the neuroscience behind this? Well, now I know. This is a seminal study done at New York University by social scientist David R Amodio, A M O D I O and colleagues. And what they found is that there is a part of the brain Called the ERN. Um, let me find where it says exactly what ERN stands for. Oh, error-related negativity. Uh, this is uh, there is this region of the brain is known as the anterior cingulate, uh, cingulate cortex. Notices things in your environment, notices things in your life that are inconsistent with the past, in other words, that are new, that are novel, or that are different, and sounds a warning, danger, Will Robinson, when the ERN lights up, and you can actually see this on a brain scan, they say it's a, the ERN, which stands for error related negativity, is a spike in brain activity that is committed, that is triggered when we commit an error. It serves as a kind of internal alert, alert system within our brain, signaling when a mistake has been made. It helps us navigate situations where established patterns or behaviors are ineffective and require a judgment, uh, adjustment. Excuse me. For example, if a person is learning to play a musical instrument and hits the wrong note, the ERN might spike, prompting them to correct their finger positioning and play, scale, play style, playing style. So this new study found that participants with liberal views Exhibited a more pronounced ERN. This suggests that they have a heightened sensitivity to error signals, indicating a cognitive system that acknowledges the need for adjustments in perspective and strategy. Conservatives, on the other hand, exhibited a smaller ERN, which suggests their, their cognitive system. I'm, I'm reading, by the way, from uh, Bobby Azarian and Ross Story Trump supporters' brains prevent them from changing their minds. Conservatives, on the other hand, exhibited a smaller ERN, which suggests their cognitive system is more resistant to signals advocating change or reconsideration. We can think of this as a a neural reflection of their preference for stability, tradition, and consistency. They value the familiar and the reliable. It's a mindset where radical shifts or sudden upheavals are perceived not as opportunities, but as threats to a delicate equilibrium conservatism is essentially a neurocognitive inclination aimed at preserving the status quo. Which reminds me of William F. Buckley's famous saying back in the 60s, where he said a conservative is a man who stands athwart the arc of history with his hand out shouting stop. So what does this mean in terms of how we interact with conservatives? Well, what he's pointing out is that persuading conservatives who intend to vote for Trump by talking about how terrible Trump is, is not going to move the needle for these people. They don't care about how terrible he is. What they care about is what has always been. Tradition. Order. Orderliness. So the way to talk to them is to frame arguments Around stability, tradition, and consistency. In other words, you don't talk about Trump as, you know, hey, he's an evil man who grabs women by the crotch. Instead, you say, Trump is violating the norms of society. Trump is breaking the rules of society. Trump is uh, upending the way that we always did things. Trump wants to abandon the American tradition of respect for a free press, for example. Trump wants to abandon the American tradition of a respect for the rule of law, respect for judges and and courts. And if we could pound that over and over, so every time Trump comes out and attacks some judge, conservatives are thinking, wait a minute, he shouldn't be doing that. You're not supposed to attack judges. You see what I'm saying? Virtually everything that Donald Trump is doing these days is actually a violation of the norms. It's It's a violation of the status quo. It's a violation of the historic positions of America. Now, where conservatives are with Trump is where they think he's trying to take us back to the norms, right? Trump wants to reestablish segregation. Trump wants to kick out the brown people and make America white again. So that appeals to conservatives. But we have to point out to them that he's trying to do this using strategies that are violations of the norm. We don't round people up into concentration camps in America. But Trump wants to do that. etc. So I I, I thought this was absolutely fascinating and, uh, you know, probably a fairly important message for anybody involved in political communication. We'll be back with your calls on the other side of the break here. It's 27 minutes past the hour. It's your media support group for We the People, the Tom Hartman program. Stay with us.
5: You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925.
0: You are listening to America's number one progressive radio show. I'll be right back with your calls.
5: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the
0: Tom Hartman Book Club is by John W. Dean and Bob Altmaier. It's titled Authoritarian Nightmare, Trump and His Followers. Uh, This is from the first chapter starting on page 19. Uh, COVID-19 and authoritarianism in America, a tale of two diseases. From time to time, American presidents have thoroughly pinned themselves to disastrous positions. Lyndon Johnson's decision to get heavily involved in Vietnam comes to mind. And Richard Nixon's insisting on a cover-up. Donald Trump told the American people over and over that the COVID-19 virus was not worth worrying about. It was just like the flu. He had it completely under control. It was not going to affect anything. And he meant it. He did practically nothing to protect America, and he kept the government from doing much as well, even though its medical officers and scientists were pleading to do something. The United States is projected to lose more than 200,000 lives in 2020. This book was written back in 2020 because of Trump. More than we lost in Korea, Vietnam, 9-11, Iraq, and the war on terror combined. No previous president, however, has tried to change history when his actions became an undeniable catastrophe. Lyndon Johnson, for example, chose not to seek reelection in 1968 when he saw how deeply divided the nation was over the war. He did not say, I never said we should send troops to Vietnam. Richard Nixon resigned when he saw that he would lose the impeachment vote in the Senate in 1974. He did not say, I was never involved in the cover-up of Watergate, when his secretly self-recorded conversations said otherwise. But friend and foe must agree that Donald Trump has tried to deny the undeniable about his reaction to COVID-19. He, he says he always took it seriously. He said he knew it was a pandemic before anybody else. He says he never said it would miraculously disappear once spring came. He says he reacted perfectly to the danger 10 out of 10. He has a long list of others whom he blames, but he himself was not at all responsible for what happened to America. Whether you may like or loathe Donald Trump, the record is indisputable that this is simply not true. But as remarkable and unprecedented as his level of mendacity may be even more remarkable is the fact that about half the country appears to believe this monumentally false rewrite. You can see the average of his daily level of support in public opinion polls at 538's How Popular, Unpopular is Donald Trump? Except for the small bump at the end of March when his approval rating reached nearly 46%. He found favor with about some 43% of the Americans surveyed day after day, week after week. Even after he wondered aloud if injecting bleach into people would cure the virus. Even after he said the crisis was over and we should go back to our normal lives. Although tens of thousands of new COVID-19 cases were being recorded every day. No matter what he says, roughly 43% of Americans remain with him. You must wonder. Is there anything he could say or do that would change the minds of his supporters? As the United States was reaching its 100,000th COVID-19 death, a white policeman in Minneapolis was recorded on video by a passerby murdering a black man who was handcuffed and being held down on the pavement by, uh, by a knee on his neck for nearly nine minutes. The man, George Floyd, begged for his life. The policeman, hand casually in his pocket as he pressed his knee on Floyd's neck, showed supreme indifference before cameras as the onlookers begged him to stop. Floyd's dead body was removed by an ambulance and the video was posted online where it went viral. Small protests broke out that night, May 25th, in the city and more occurred the next day. When the horrific video became a national news story, demonstrations against police brutality grew and spread to other cities. On May twenty-seven, President Trump tweeted he had ordered the FBI to investigate the killing The next day, he told reporters in the Oval Office that the video of George Floyd's death had been very shocking and was a very bad thing. But when asked, he refused to say whether the police officers involved should be charged with murder. Reports from the White House suggested Trump was torn between two groups of advisors on what he should do. One group wanted him to be sympathetic with the African-American community. The other camp reportedly warned he would lose measurable support from his base if he did not take the side of the white policemen and condemn the demonstrators as radical leftists and terrorists themselves. Trump stood at a potentially historic moment in his presidency when he could have helped rectify 400 years of unconscionable racial injustice and head off the biggest outbreak of racial protests the country had seen in 50 years. He had a chance to do what a president should do, unite the country in time of peril and try to solve its problems. It was most definitely not the time to fan the anger of the black community, city mayors, and various governors by attacking them. But if you know anything about Donald Trump or the people in his base whom he wanted to please above all others, you could have predicted which way he was going to turn. Trump became president with a reprehensible record for dealing with racial matters. For example, in April 1989, a white woman jogging alone in Manhattan Central Park was assaulted, raped, beaten, and left for dead. The book is Authoritarian Nightmare by John Dean and Bob Altmaier. Hey, if you like the rants that I open the show with every day, they're typically published over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Back in 2010, when Viktor Orban took over the Fidesz party in Hungary, uh, that party was sort of like the Republican Party. It was just a conventional conservative European political party. And he has turned it into a neo-fascist powerhouse. Um, he they, he pushed through the he altered the nation's constitution to push through what we would call gerrymandering and voter suppression so that his party will always win. He campaigned on building a wall. Build a wall was literally one of his campaign slogans, and he did build a wall across the southern border of Hungary to to keep out Syrian refugees who were fleeing the the violence when Russia was bombing that country. Um, his other two campaign slogans were and I quote: "Restore Christian purity." and make Hungary great again. Seriously, back in 2010, six years before Trump, there's an amazing backstory about how Viktor Orban is being cloned, essentially, in the GOP. You can find the article over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Welcome back, 35 minutes past the hour, and Let's see. Have I covered everything geeky science? Yeah, we have. Hey, let's pick up your calls here. Uh, Kim in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Kim, what's on your mind today?
12: Uh, Hi, Tom. Thanks for all you do. Uh, I was calling about the Washington primary. I have my ballot in my hand, and on the uh, mailing envelope, it is required that you check Democratic or Republican, or your vote will be invalid.
0: Thank you. That was my guess, and thank you for... uh, confirming that for me, Kim. I appreciate that.
12: And also, I wanted to ask you, have you seen the latest uh, Medicare Advantage uh, ads on TV? They used to be with Joe Namath and some other people. Now they're hitting it hard as Medicare Part C and offering groceries and Things like that, as well as utility bill payments. Oh God!
0: There is no end to this scam. I mean, there's just no end to it. They they will do anything they can to sign you up because once they've had you for more than a year, you can't escape their clutches, or it's very very yeah. difficult. And and yeah. uh, go ahead.
12: Yeah. Well, I heard recently that 50% of the people on Medicare now are on Medicare Advantage. 51%. Is that accurate?
0: Yep. 51%. Holy cow! Yep. And any day now, the I mean, if the Republicans ever seized uh, complete control of the government again, um, or or when they do, I suppose I should say, you know, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to declare the Medicare Advantage experiment a success and shut down traditional Medicare. And then they're going to roll out Social Security Advantage, where you can have a contract with Citibank or Goldman Sachs to handle your retirement funds. No, this is what George W. Bush campaigned on in 2000 and 2004. He did a 20-city tour p- promoting Social Security Advantage. I mean, he was the guy who brought us Medicare Advantage in 2003. Mm-hmm. So, no, this right. is part of a much larger plan, Kim, and they're rolling right along. Kim, thanks for the oh, information on you. the Washington State voting. I appreciate that, and thanks for the call. TJ in Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, TJ, what's on your mind today?
15: Hi, it's TJ.
0: Oh, TJ, um, like, like uh, uh, Peter, John, as opposed to yeah. T, like Thomas. Okay, got it. Thank you.
15: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Hi. It's good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in years, (laughs) but it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because I just haven't had much to say. I've been following so much news. The thing that I wanted to tell you about was about abortion Mm -hmm. and the reason I know the reason that the Republicans have to dance around the issue. The reason is because back in 19, uh, 70, when they passed abortion. The reason was because of the thalidomide scandal. Do you recall the thalidomide scandal? I
0: do, but that was in the 60s, and Roe v. Wade was in was 73. In,
15: yes, that was in 62 that the thalidomide scandal hit the USA.
0: Well, only, only weekly. Most of the thalidomide babies were in Europe. I, I don't think thalidomide yet. was approved for pregnancy in the United States ever.
15: It was not approved to free the United States, but it was approved and being used in 42 other countries. Right, And in uh, Great Britain, in uh, the UK, it was approved. But what was happening is the children, you know, were born with horrible uh,
0: defects, birth defects. Right, mostly missing limbs.
15: Yes, yes. Well,
0: um, there was a TV show called, Romper Room. Do you remember that? I do. With Miss what's her name? Miss Nancy or whatever. Yeah, I remember. Right. It I remember put this. on where you were. Yeah. Who who was the host? Oh, they did. But I think local it was okay. Texas. That it was Miss Sherry. Miss Sherry. I remember Miss Sherry. Yes, with with lamb chop. Yes. Well, this was in the romper
15: room thing. Miss Sherry, whose real name was Sherry Fink- Finkbine. Uh, Miss Sherry got pregnant, and she and her husband were so elated. They were so happy. They wanted that baby so bad. But her husband was a pilot for a commercial airline, and she was feeling really not well And because of the, the morning sickness and trying to work. Right. And so he was in Great Britain, and he picked up some thalidomide for oh, her.
0: Oh, my God. I have yes. no idea. So she no, had a thalidomide no, baby.
15: Right. So uh, she was taking thalidomide to help fight the morning sickness.
0: Right, when which the is what it was prescribed for.
15: Thalidomide scandal. So what up. does that have to do
0: with abortion?
15: Okay, so what she did is she declared that she was going to have an abortion. And it was illegal in the United States. Right. She could not have an abortion, no matter what. Right. In the United States, so she and her husband flew to Sweden. This was all over the news. Hmm. They flew to Sweden where she could have an abortion. Right. And then that changed how America
0: looked at abortion. What year was that?
15: All of us. That was. Um, I'm not sure, but we can find out by going to uh, Planned Parenthood. The very
0: early '60s. Yeah. So you think that that was the event that, that sparked, that, that created some of the social pressure on, on the Supreme Court for Roe v. Wade?
7: Yes, yes, huh. because
0: Interesting.
15: What, the reason that they were saying you should pass abortion for medical purposes.
21: Right, right.
15: Well, that's the kicker, because yeah. if you pass it for medical purposes, then are you killing the child?
0: Right, and and what and where do the definitions of medical purposes end? I mean, this is why why uh, the life of the mother is objected to by these Republicans in the red states, as they say. Exactly, well, those women will exaggerate the threat, you know. Exactly,
15: and with the IVF, the in vitro fertilization, the way that works is they have to insert multiple. Uh, they they right. form multiple embryos right. and they pick the most viable. Right. And so if you throw away those embryos, then it's like the the right. this, this is why back
0: why in the early days of, of uh, IVF, you were having, you know, mothers, you know, octu- opt- octuplets, you know, eight babies yeah. coming out. But You know, and then they got smart about it and they said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to implant eight of them to increase the probability that, you know, at least one will stick. But if more than one sticks, we're going to determine who's genetically healthiest and we're going to abort the rest of them. You're absolutely right. Right. Yeah.
15: And so that's how the Republicans are stuck right now, because yeah. it's like, You can't say you can abort in one instance, and you cannot in the other. Exactly! Like what had happened at the very beginning. Yeah. Either um, either you so believe life
0: begins at conception or you don't. I mean, that's the bottom line, and and uh, they're going to try and have it both ways. Not. <laughs> it's it's they it's can't. fascinating. They yeah. Couldn't. No, you're absolutely right. And watching them, you know, try to wiggle out of this. PJ, thank you. That was brilliant. You know, you. you. you, you, know. you I appreciate your uh, your call, and uh, it's been a while, but that was that was worth it. Thank you so much. Brady in Dalton, Georgia. Hey, Brady, what's on your mind today? It's been a long time since I've been in Dalton, Georgia. It's a beautiful little town.
9: What's up? Well, Tom, we're still here to come see us sometime. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, What I want to talk about is uh, the world leadership today. When you consider politics and business and that type of thing, I think we're electing people now that tend to be narcissists, sociopaths, have a lot of hubris, authoritarianism. Um, At least on the GOP side, yeah. Yeah, it's mostly GOP, and those are the people we, we're putting in these power positions, you know, the governors and all that. But those folks, they have no regard for anybody else. Um, the hubris—they believe that 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 what they say, what they do, what they believe, it's the only thing that really matters. Yep. Other people's opinions and thoughts and considerations don't really mean anything to them. Yep. Um, and. To, to behave the way they do uh, requires that authoritarianism. You know, like Netanyahu, the way he's behaving as far in regard to the Palestinians, it takes a certain amount of not caring about people to to behave that way. Yeah. When you look at Donald Trump, uh, his whole life has been warned that he has not given a uh flip about anybody but yep. Donald Trump. Yep. And you see this when you look at Elon Musk, and these guys, uh Zuckerberg and all those guys, you know, they they run around with all this hubris and stuff thinking that, that they did it all on their, on their on their own. Right. I don't know of any of these billionaires that didn't get a ton of dough from the federal government. Right.
0: And um, they all and they all exactly. started out fairly wealthy too. Um most exactly. of them, not all of them, but yeah. Yeah, and they, 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 they are completely of the mindset that they are, you know, the, the great geniuses of our era, the masters of the universe. Elon Musk has gone so far as to say that he's basically committed to saving humanity, you know, trying to move us to Mars or something. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's weird. But, Brady, I think you've, you've nailed it. It's uh, between narcissism and sociopathy. That's like the, you know, uh, two, two parts of the deadly triad that, that uh, so characterizes so many Republicans in politics. Brady, thank you. Thank you so much for that. 45 minutes past the hour. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives.
0: Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. I'll be right back with your calls. Welcome back. Bill in Etheridge, Tennessee. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today?
22: Hey, Tom. How you doing? Good. What's up? It was a uh, about, I don't know if it was the first part of this week or last Friday, maybe, you had a fella call in. he was a little upset with uh, inflation, mm-hmm. about paying 12 bucks for a Big Mac and a fry and a right. cold drink. Right. And uh, I, I thought it kind of intertwined with the book he told us about. Uh, dangerous woman that, in a way, we are kind of responsible for inflation. I mean, we, we keep going to these places like the McDonald's and, the you know, the Home Depots and right. the Walmarts and, right. and paying whatever it is they choose to charge us.
0: Did you see they're talking about surge pricing now at Wendy's, I believe it was?
22: Yeah, yeah. That's
0: incredible. yesterday. Now, you know, everybody's treating this like it's some radical new thing, but we've had surge pricing in restaurants for years. It's called happy hour. They offer a discount during yeah. their slow time because they yeah. want to encourage people to come during the slow time rather than the peak time. Yeah. And if that's yeah. all these fast food places are doing, if they're offering discounts during slow hours, I say more power to them. But if, what they're, uh, if they're doing the opposite, if they're doing what Uber does and they're charging higher rates during rush hour, I don't know how well that's going to work for them. All right. We'll see.
22: And another thing I wanted to t- mention was um, I watched a show, must be close to 20 years ago now, and uh, it was some historians and some archaeologists and some other people, I believe, and they had somebody that maybe worked at Madame Tussauds Wax Museum. But during the entire show, they were talking about uh israelites and and all that while this fellow was working on a wax bust, mm-hmm. and they came up with at the end you know they went and, you know, they they figured out what an average uh Israelite would have looked like two thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and at the end of the show, they revealed it. And uh, and he definitely wasn't a white boy. No, you he look, looks I mean,
0: like a Palestinian. Yeah. Yeah.
22: And uh, I mentioned that to my brother, who's passed away now, but a few years before he died, I mentioned it to him. That, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't a white man. Yep. And he was kind of racist. My brother was a little bit. Now, I'm not hardcore, but my dad was also. And I says, you know, he wasn't a white boy. I says, you know, just look at where he comes from and where he would have came from. And about I go up to I live in Southern Tennessee, Mm -hmm. so I'm right in the middle of the Bible Belt. Tennessee's ranked like the second highest in uh, hate groups in the country. Yeah. So the people I talk to, i got to be careful. I might be putting my neck on a chopping block. But,
0: you wonder, Bill, um, if, if the uh, publishers who publish you know, books and photographs and things of Jesus or pictures of Jesus were en masse yeah. to start characterizing him as a brown-skinned Palestinian or, or a, a, you know, Israelite, a, a Jew, uh, if they were to, to, to make his pictures brown instead of white. How that would affect the you oh, know the Bible day. man?
22: Yeah, the Christians would go nuts.
0: Well, or they and, might become more tolerant.
22: Well, that my brother did. I, I, like I said, I live in Southern Tennessee, and they so, were living in the so Wisconsin. he believed you,
0: he, he accepted and it, that Jesus was brown skin.
22: He, he he a year later I went up there. I go up there once a year, yeah. and a year later he told me he said, you know, Jesus wasn't a white man.
0: There you go, Bill. I got to run. I'm sorry, but that was brilliant. Thank you. Help support Progressive Radio. If you're listening to us on a commercial station, call their advertisers and let them know you're listening. If you're listening to us on Pacifica or one of our many nonprofit stations, please support them when they do their fundraising drives. Thanks for supporting Progressive Talk Radio and Tag your It. Welcome back. Picking up your calls here, Tyrone in Chicago. Hey, Tyrone, what's on your mind today?
3: Oh, hi, Tom. How you doing?
4: Good. I'm Tom. What's up? I-, I, want, I-, I-, I want to talk about the Michigan election. Um, you know Biden won big, but you know you was um, I was hearing about the people who was uncommitted because of the war. What do mm-hmm. you think about that? Do you think that will hurt Biden in the long run?
0: I don't think it's going to hurt Biden in the long run if he starts taking a harder line with Israel. If he continues to be uh, essentially supportive, I realize he's not supportive of Israel's situation right now, but but he's not he's not. Aggressively condemning it, and he's not cutting off aid to Israel. If he if he changes his policy positions, uh, as he has changed his rhetoric, well, actually his rhetoric has been fairly consistent since October seventh. Um, if he was to change that, I think it could bring about uh, not only a good thing for him electorally, but I think that it could bring about peace in the Middle East. I, I, I really see, I increasingly am seeing Benjamin Netanyahu as the principal um, uh, obstacle to peace in the Middle East, particularly his support for Hamas over the last decade. And uh, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully, Tyrone. Tyrone, thanks for the call. Donna in Avon Park, Florida. Hey, Donna, what's up?
23: Hi, Tom. Hi. Nice to talk with you. Thank you. I'm calling because we live in Florida. We've Mm -hmm. lived here for a year and a half, originally from northern New Hampshire. What everything and everyone is saying about Florida is true. It's absolutely true. What is that What mean? is going on here in this? Everything you can think of from soup to nuts is happening in Florida. It's true. Well,
0: give me some specific examples. Atrocity,
23: I will tell you. It won't be easy. I was at uh, a bondsman. They have a deck in the back. And I was sitting there, just looking out. That's where all the courthouses are. I I heard like a ball game, like people yelling and having fun, I thought. It was like a a game. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, I I didn't realize they had sports because the prison was right there. Mm -hmm. And the young man looked up at me and he said, ma'am, that ain't no game. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, those are turtle suits, ma'am. I said, what? He said, turtle suits. They put people in those suits and they drop them into cold, dark places and leave them there for three days. I said, what? That's, that's not possible. That's I torture. know, ma'am. I was there. I saw it. Wow. Torture. There is torture being done in the judicial system here in Florida wow. that is beyond belief. I thought I'd say something only because I don't think people realize it. It's hidden. Unless you're in the system, you wouldn't know. But that's illegal. You would it's think. illegal. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it myself, Tom. Wow. I heard it. I didn't hear screams of a ball game, I heard screams of people tortured. Wow. I cannot. I, I have to tell you that. Yeah. Everything that's going on in Florida, everything that you hear, everything you say—the attitude, the supremacy, the everything about how they feel about minority groups—every boy, everything from soup to nuts is true.
0: The arrogance. Yeah. It's
23: like a fascist state, wow. and it's getting worse. And you're right; people want to leave here. They can't live here. They don't mm-hmm. want to live here. It's—it's it's like you're living in the strict society rules you feel like a child that you've been reprimanded and if there's no freedom it's horrible we have to leave yeah. we have to leave here
0: so you're you're moving out of the state
23: i thought i'd share that i thought i'd share that with you tom yeah. because you probably have no idea that that exists no, but I it didn't. does and something should be done about it
0: okay donna thank you thank That's you so much for the, you. for the report and
23: you're
24: welcome
0: thank you very much lori in cashiers north carolina hey lori what's on your mind today
24: hi tom um wow last few calls have been wow a lot of information and shocking. yeah um anyway i rely on you as a dependable news source as i do with democracy now i'm a subscriber and what i wanted to ask you about might sound a little crazy but i i would sleep better if i knew were you one of the people that were invited by the Israeli government to watch their 40-minute compilation of what happened to them on October 7th?
0: No, I haven't seen it.
24: No, I haven't seen it. Okay, well, I read in, you know, either AP or Reuters, you know, a dependable, a good news source, mm-hmm. that, you know, when after they had been attacked, they came, they went to Hollywood, and they viewed this 40-minute clip of what happened— With about 200 people that were like film executives and reporters. Mm -hmm. And then they went to Washington and showed it to congressmen. But I haven't been able to find anything on the internet other than some shaky handheld phones. Right. And, you know, it's just, you can't tell who's who in those. Yeah. Photographs, uh, and I didn't know if you had a source where I could go and see something more definitive. Because I'm wondering why are all of these decisions about war being made by a clutch of people?
0: Yeah, I you know I I know nothing about this, it with I, The
24: country.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak specifically to that. I mean, you know, we've all seen the footage of the uh, of the woman being abducted from the concert and. And you know the murders that happened there and things like that. I mean, it's pretty, pretty horrific stuff. Even if it's not made into a propaganda video, um, what's not being showed, shown, uh, on the other hand, you know, are are the, the the crimes against Gazans that have been going on for decades. Um, it, it, which is not to say that what Hamas did was justified, not in the least. But this is a complex situation that is has has been in existence for decades. Uh, Lori, thank you for the call. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Tom
11: Hartman. If you're a corporate employee, you know that something unpleasant is afoot when top executives are suddenly issuing statements about how committed they are to their employees, making sure that all of them are treated with dignity and respect. For example, the PR chief of a global outfit named Teleperformance, one of the world's largest call centers, was recently going on and on about how, quote, we value our people and their well-being, safety, and happiness. Why did the corporation feel such a desperate need to proclaim its virtue? Because it's been caught in a nasty scheme to spy on its own workers. Teleperformance, a $6.7 billion global behemoth that handles customer service calls for Amazon, Apple, Uber, etc., saves money on overhead by making most of its 380,000 employees around the world work from their own homes. That can be a convenience for many workers, but a new corporate policy first imposed in March on thousands of its workers in Colombia is an Orwellian nightmare. Teleperformance is pressuring them to sign an eight-page addendum to their employee contracts, allowing corporate-controlled video cameras, electronic audio devices, and data collection tools to be put in their homes to monitor their actions. I work in my bedroom, one employee noted. I don't want to have a camera in my bedroom. Neither would I, and I doubt that Teleperformance's $20 million-a-year CEO would allow one in his mansion. Uglier yet, the privacy-obliterating contract requires that even the children of employees can be spied on at home. Nonetheless, the Colombian worker signed because her supervisor said she could lose her job if she refused. Of course, Teleperformance Inc. assures us that the data it collects on children is not shared elsewhere. But how do we know that? Trust us, they say. This is Jim Hightower saying, do you?
1: You're listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 FM. Streaming online everywhere at x-ray.fm. Radio is yours.
19: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1937. That was the day with whistles blowing, the call to strike could be heard through the aisles of Woolworth in downtown Detroit. 108 saleswomen walked away from their workstations and cash registers. The eight-day sit-down had begun. The women saw from the experience in Flint that sit-down strikes were effective. They evicted management, barricaded the doors, and found 200 or so customers still inside the store wanting to join them. The strikers issued their demands. A $0.10 an hour raise, an eight-hour workday, union recognition, and a union hiring hall, free uniforms and laundering, and more. Kresge department stores immediately gave their workers a raise in order to prevent similar stoppages. The striking women at Woolworth made themselves comfortable and the sit-down soon spread to a second store. Leaders from Local 705 of the Hotel Employees and Restaurant Employees Union threatened a nationwide strike if demands were not met. Union cooks provided meals, and union musicians provided entertainment. Hotel workers from across the city picketed in front of the store in a show of solidarity. After seven days, Woolworth's management caved and agreed to most of the strikers' demands. High turnover in the workforce would undo contract gains at Area Woolworth stores soon after the sit-down. But the victory electrified retail workers across the country. The sit-down spread to retailers in St. Louis, New York, San Francisco, Minnesota, and Washington. In three strikes, miners, musicians, salesgirls, and the fighting spirit of labor's last century, Dana Frank notes that, quote, over 60 years later, unions today in department stores all over the country owe their existence in part to the Woolworth strike. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
0: News and talk in the morning music after two and all weekend long with shows like the big city radio show mondays at 8 p.m this is the big city radio show my name is sean playing
21: records from the era of the new music listen live
0: or archived at x-ray.fm on the air in portland at 91.1 and 107.1
18: fm x-ray fm radio is yours I'm Dr. Anthony Leiserwitz, and this is Climate Connections. Winters in northern Minnesota can be frigid, but at Michael Overend's home near Duluth, heat pumps keep things toasty warm, even in sub-zero temperatures. We
5: have heated our home with air source heat pumps now for the last two winters,
18: and they've done great. Heat pumps are highly efficient, so they help reduce the energy needed for heating and cooling and they run on electricity, which can be provided by clean, renewable sources of energy. Heat pumps have been common in the southern U.S. for decades, but they were rare up north because in the past they did not work as well in the very cold. But the technology is now advanced and is capable of providing reliable heating even in a Minnesota winter. To save energy and reduce the demand on his heat pumps in such a cold climate, Overend also made efficiency upgrades to his house. He installed new insulation siding, and windows to eliminate drafts. He and his wife hope to inspire others to invest in reducing their home's environmental impact.
5: And we need as many people as possible to say, this is a great opportunity. So we're trying to use our home as an example to our community, and we're trying to spread the word as much as we can.
18: Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To learn more about climate change, visit climateconnections.org. Support for X-Ray FM comes from the
5: Hollywood Theater, Portland's nonprofit historic movie theater, showing classic, contemporary, and cult films every night of the week, located at Northeast Sandy Boulevard in the heart of the Hollywood District. Showtimes and event listings at hollywoodtheater.org.
15: Support for X-Ray FM comes from North Coast Pinball, Nahalem's Little Pinball Sanctuary, located on Highway 101 next to North Coast Mudworks. North Coast Pinball offers monthly tournaments and a selection of games from the 1970s to the present. Learn more at NorthCoastPinball.com.
0: x FM is supported by Slingshot Lounge. Located in southeast Portland on the corner of 56th and Foster, Slingshot Lounge offers an expansive game room, scratch cocktails, and a craft kitchen with a full menu until 2 a.m. Happy hour available weekdays from 3 to 7 and brunch weekends from noon to 4. Slingshot Lounge, decentralizing Portland since 2007. Support for X-Ray
3: FM comes from P-Town Couriers, LLC, a local bicycle food delivery company delivering to the Portland metro area in an hour or less. More information and a list of local eateries they work with can be found at pdxccc.com.
0: ...assembled contingent of armed deputies, so-called. Whites who had already made it into the black community were now shooting randomly through windows and setting homes and businesses on fire. In at least a few cases, blacks were deliberately murdered, including an elderly couple who were gunned down inside their own home. The most destructive and perhaps deadliest race massacre in American history had begun, and it would continue unabated for approximately 12 hours. The book, The the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre, A Photographic History.
5: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome to the third hour of our program.
0: We're we're watching with some horror as these uh, anti abortion laws and anti trans laws and anti now anti birth control is going to be coming, I I predict, down the road uh, in the former Confederate states uh, rolling along. On the line with us is Lori Bertram Roberts. Uh, Laurie is a member of the Mississippi Abortion Access Coalition, MAAC, and the executive director and co-founder of the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund, msabortion.org and msreprofreedomfund.org msreproduc- are the websites, msabortion uh, on Twitter and uh, Fund MS Abortions on Twitter as well. Lori, welcome to the program.
16: Thank you. Long time listener. First time appearing.
0: Oh, well, thank you. It's great to have you with us. So uh, let's start with Mississippi. What's what's going on in Mississippi? What is the state of play here with uh, all this wackadoodle right wing legislation uh, regulating women's bodies?
16: Yeah. Currently, we obviously already have an abortion ban. There are no abortion providers in the state. There's no abortion clinic left in the state. But on top of that, now they're trying to push a bill that they're calling abortion trafficking, which would criminalize anyone who helped a minor cross state lines to get a legal abortion in another state. Um, they've been working on on bills that would make it illegal for you to talk about to people, to be able to tell them to go out of state, to be able to do billboards, to be able to essentially do the work that we do um, on an everyday basis.
0: Wow. Uh, what, what are the chances of success for the bill banning uh, travel out of state?
16: Pretty high. That seems
0: to me just like fundamentally unconstitutional. I mean, our, our right to travel, uh, interstate travel is has been, uh, uh, you know, validated by the Supreme Court in the past. It's what, what possible rationalization do they have for that? And what's the enforcement mechanism?
16: Yeah, so they want to, of course, protect the kids, right? It's if you can't, if you take a minor out of state without their parents' permission, then you could face um, a fine of 1000 to $10,000 or up to five, I think it's five years in prison. Um, the The problem is, is that not only that, There's a mechanism in one of the bills, because there's actually three bills, that all do the same thing. But the one that they're really uh, attached to makes it so the attorney general of the state can prosecute people on these grounds if the local prosecutor chooses not to.
0: How long do you think that the uh, good citizens of Mississippi are going to tolerate this? I mean, isn't isn't there a significant blowback happening?
16: It is. It's slow. It's been slow climbing. Uh But I've always said the pendulum is going to swing back, and the question is how much harm is going to be done in that time before it does. So I definitely see that people are organizing. People are upset. A lot of people don't even know what's going on, so there's a lot of voter education that has to be done. Mm -hmm. And of course, we've got to work on voter disenfranchisement and voter suppression in our state because it's very rampant.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. Tell me about the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund that you are the uh, co-founder and executive director of.
16: Yeah, that's my baby. So we were Mississippi's first abortion fund. We fund people going to access abortion care wherever they choose to go. Um, we put money in their hands so that they can they can do what they need to do. We have a food pantry, we have a diapers closet. We help people who parent as well as people who choose not to parent because often they're the same people. We have a, a free period supply closet. We give away condoms and Plan B. Um, Birth, uh, pregnancy tests and ovulation tests. So we try to do a full range of reproductive justice work, not just abortion work.
0: That's marvelous. We're we're talking with Lori Bertram Roberts, who's the executive director and co-founder of the Mississippi Reproductive uh, Freedom Fund and a member of the Mississippi Abortion Access Coalition. Um, uh, Tell me about the Mississippi uh, Abortion Access Coalition.
16: Yeah. So I love the coalition because it's not just like three abortion funds sitting around talking about how to defend abortion rights. It's a coalition of like-minded folks who may not have a a central focus in their work around abortion, but perhaps they have another reproductive justice-y kind of thing that they do, HIV AIDS, birth justice. So it's really a way for all of us to come around come together around this issue um, and make sure that we're all on the same page. Everyone has the information to get out to folks, but they can get it to their networks. And so we're not, so it's not just the abortion fund people talking about abortion. It's the birth justice people It's clergy. It's a, it's a, a base of folks
0: so what is the election going to look like this november in mississippi are is your governor up for reelection do you have any uh, united states senators up for election is there is there going to be a ballot measure around abortion on the ballot uh, what, what's happening there
16: well they got rid of our ballot initiative after we got medical marijuana um, and right now they're talking about producing a new one, but it would ban doing a ballot initiative on abortion or <laughs> or voting rights or wow. – um, yeah. So, so, uh, so legislature outlawed
0: ballot initiatives.
16: Exactly. So they're scared of us. They're running scared. Yeah. The governor just got reelected last year. Mm. Um, Is that Tate Reeves? Have, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, we call him Tater. <laughs> uh, but like <laughs> we – we don't have any—currently, I can't think of any really exciting races that are going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Which probably means is, that there's not okay. going to be a lot of political change in Mississippi as a result of this election.
16: Not yet. Wow. Wow. Change comes slow, though. You know, increments, I'm always hopeful.
0: I know. Well, it's, it's only been, what, uh, 170 years since the Civil War ended or whatever, 130 <laughs> years? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. So True. Uh, we, we've been talking about Mississippi. How's the rest of, you know, what about the adjoining states? What's, what's the state of play there? And do you see any of the former Confederate states where uh, abortion might be an issue that can push them from being red to purple or even blue?
16: I really think Georgia probably has. Georgia and Florida mm-hmm. um, honestly have better chances of turning purple before, like, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. Um, because they already have strong organizing bases around getting out the vote mm-hmm. for the left. So, and there's, and they also had quite a few abortion clinics, like they've lost a few in Florida, but Florida is still a place where a lot of folks go to get their abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, and al- so is Atlanta.
0: Al- although Florida, uh, I believe both states have, uh, Florida for sure has a six week abortion ban. That's held in abeyance by the courts right now, isn't
16: it? Yep, yep. And Georgia has a six-week ban too.
0: Yeah, and if people are
16: early enough, they still travel there. I mean, it's it's Atlanta or or Illinois for our people.
2: Yeah.
16: Um, the thing is, is Louisiana doesn't look much different. It's I always said if Roe fell, then the entire South would become an abortion desert, and that's exactly what's happened for the most part. Every state in the Southeast no longer has abortion care care.
0: Right. What's the status of IVF in Mississippi? We're talking with Lori Bertram Roberts of the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund.
16: Yeah. Currently, IVF is legal. We don't have any Alabama shenanigans going on yet. Mm -hmm. But I do want to, for people who follow these kinds of things, if you remember in 2011, Mississippi defeated the personhood amendment. It was a ballot initiative to make embryos equal to people. And we, we defeated it, not just a little bit, but we defeated it by like, like 17 points or something like that. And so, I mean, it was like a, it was like it was almost like 60 to 30 something. It was, Mm -hmm. it was a huge margin. So anyway, my point is that Mississippians have never wanted an abortion free state and they certainly don't want an IVF free state. Um, and it's also counterintuitive. How do you say you want people to have children? You want people to make families, but you don't want them to make families
0: With IVF, Right. Yeah. Which is weird, Uh, particularly when you consider that uh, uh, Mike Pence uh, had his children by by IVF. Um, There's been a a couple of other high profile Republicans who had IVF kids. Uh, You know, it's uh, it's incredible stuff. Laurie Bertram Roberts is uh, the Mississippi Abortion Access Coalition and co-founder of the Mississippi Reproductive Freedom Fund. MS Repro. FreedomFund.org is the website. Check it out. And, M, and Fund MS Abortions on Twitter. Uh, Lori, thank you so much for dropping by. It's great talking with you. Nice thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great work you're doing. It's thank, uh, you. thank you. It's 15 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls in just a moment.
5: This is
0: the Tom Hartman Program. A uh, new survey shows Republicans might have a small problem with abortion. I'll tell you about that right after this. And welcome back. Fifteen minutes past the hour. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind today?
4: Tom, thank you for taking what is, in fact, a second call this week. I keep Uh forgetting. You're in the penalty box. I I know. Mark is very forgiving. This is really a public health announcement, a public service announcement. For any of your listeners who suffer, as I do very badly, from COPD, Anyone who's listening doesn't know it's chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Right. Mine is my own fault from smoking all my life. I've been an idiot. But there you have it. I read everything I get my hands on in the middle of a very long article about COPD. In the very middle of an article was a little comment dropped in reference to a Dr. Moore, M O R S, from I think Denmark. Doesn't matter. She said, Anyone who finds themselves with short gasping breaths and not able to take in a full breath, needs to do the following. After you have normally breathed out, continue to breathe out, force, force, as best you can, any existing air that is in your lungs still, before you attempt to take a breath in. Now this sounds counterintuitive. People listening, trust me, it works like magic. Yeah, my dad. Never heard, I've never heard this referred to anywhere else. It's, it should be the first thing people are told to do. Yeah. I've never heard it referred to anywhere. So I want people to do to try it. I know you don't believe me. Not you, but the people listening. It's like, well, that couldn't possibly work. It does. Yeah.
0: We we my, my, my dad force. was uh, a lifetime smoker. He, I would argue he died from it. Um, yeah, and, exactly. and as as did my brother Stan, uh, who, def, who died of COPD, and yeah. and I remember oh, as awesome. a kid, my dad telling me to periodically empty my lungs. He 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 was really into this idea yeah. that there was stale air at the bottom of your lungs. And, uh, you know, every now and then you should just, like, exhale as fully and completely as you possibly can. Like, try to do it at least once every day. Really force it out. Yeah, and and maybe he was doing that in response to, you know, his uh, accumulating COPD through his smoking. Because he he started smoking when when he was 17. Automatically on his own, yeah. Yeah, when he he, uh, volunteered for the Army and went off to uh, Japan, they gave uh, every every guy a carton of cigarettes every week. Um, And and that's when he started smoking Lucky Strikes, which he smoked his whole life. And, oh my uh, God! Right, right through you know uh, two heart attacks and everything. He just—I mean—that's a damn oh. addictive substance, uh, nicotine stuff. It's
4: all, lady nicotine is the worst.
0: It's five times more addictive than heroin.
4: That's right. So it's, I've uh, tried, you know—the old joke. It's the easiest thing in the world to kick. I've done it hundreds of times. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'm—I'm I'm assuming You are tobacco free now, Nicholas. Uh,
4: I wish I could say yes, no, I'd be lying. Okay. I smoke very little, but I still continue to have four or five cigarettes a day now.
0: Well, get some patches. I mean, you know, you can satisfy your addiction oh, without destroying I'm your lungs.
4: Everything. Yeah. No, I'm hopeless. I'm just hopeless. Okay. Anyway, any COPD sufferers, please follow the advice I just gave. It really, really works. It's yeah. amazing.
0: Okay. Well, the, but, you know, the, the, the predicating advice should be
4: quit smoking! <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everybody, stop smoking, you, you idiots.
0: There you you do not want what I have. He says to himself, Nicholas, thank you for the call and for the PSA. It's always yeah. good talking with you. It's uh, 19 minutes past the hour, almost 20, 20 past. I'll be back with you in 60 seconds. Stay with us. It's the True People's Meeting, the Tom Hartman Program. Uh, up next, the GOP and abortion. Uh-oh. We'll be right my opening rant today. It's usually published over at HartmanReport.com, where you can read it and share with your friends for free. Check it out, HartmanReport.com. So back in 1933, when Franklin Roosevelt became president, we were in the depths of the Great Depression. He raised the top income tax rate on billionaires from from 25% to 90%. The ultra-rich were screaming, and here's what he had to say.
19: A number of my friends who belong in the very high
13: upper bracket, have suggested to me on several occasions of late that if I am re-elected president, they will have to move to some other nation because of high taxes here. (laughs) Now, I will miss them
0: very much. He just took it right to them, right? Now, what came out of that was the world's largest and fastest growing and first major middle class. We can do this again. We just have to raise taxes on rich people. It's pretty straightforward. There's a whole article about it over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. And uh, welcome back. So, a new survey. This is interesting. You know, we were just uh, just talking with Laurie about uh, uh, Laurie Bertram Roberts about uh, abortion in Mississippi, and and uh, you know, s- sadly, they don't have the ability to put a ballot measure on because if they did, uh, it would probably pass. Uh, you know, but the the Right to Conception Act was introduced by Democrats after the Dobbs decision. And this was a law, this, this is not about abortion. This is about birth control. This is a law that says you have a right, if you are a, a, a if, well, not just a woman in the United States, this is birth control for men, too, and, and there's, it looks like there's a male pill coming down the road. But anyhow, if you are an American, if you, are, if you live here in America, you have a right to birth control. That's what this law said. It was the Right to Conception Act. And it would have guaranteed every American's right to purchase contraception without government restriction. And now this new survey, which was done by Americans for Contraception, it was published in the New York Times. This is amazing. This is from the New York Times. Most voters across the political spectrum believe their access to birth control is actively at risk and that 80% of voters said that protecting access to contraception was deeply important to them. Even among Republican voters, 72% said they had a favorable view of birth control. Now, here's where it gets weird. When voters were told that 195 House Republicans voted against the Right to Contraception Act, 64% of these Republican voters said they would be less likely to support Republican candidates for Congress, according to the poll. Whoa. Contraception bolstered, the, the, the Right to Contraception bolters, bolstered voters' preference for Democrats by nine points giving them a 12-point edge over Republicans, up from three. The survey also found that birth control access, again from the New York Times, the survey also found that birth control access was especially motivating to critical groups in the Democratic coalition, including black voters and young people who are currently less enthusiastic about the election. So, you know, talking about abortion is fine. I mean, let's continue doing that. But now it's time to start talking about birth control. One hundred ninety five Republicans voted no on the right to contraception. Nothing to do with abortion. Contraception. The 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 effort, this extraordinary, substantial, multi century long effort to impose Christian Sharia law on the United States to have to have the Bible and and Jesus and Moses be the you know replace uh, Washington and and Hamilton and and Payne as the station's founding uh, icons has been rolling along all this time and you know, and they're picking up steam they've been picking up steam substantially and now Donald Trump has you know, openly reached out to them, and they're, they're like, cool. You know, we don't care how bad you are. As long as you do what we want, we'll go along with it. These godly people. And what they want to do is they want to get rid of contraception, at least for white people, which is most of America. So they want to get rid of contraception. I can see the ads. I mean, I just I, I think this is really going to work against the Republicans this fall, and I hope the Democrats are on to this. I really hope that they are just taking names and kicking ass up one side of the street and down the other. All right, let's see what's on your mind. Jules in St. Louis. Hey, Jules, what's what's up? All right, good talking to you again, Tom. Thank you,
21: Jules. Missed you for a while there. But I've got two things that makes me believe, uh three things, actually, that makes me believe that this thing uh, about abortion, in any form, is a hoax. Because... If it, why haven't they offered a tax deduction for unborn fetuses?
0: Yeah, I know. It's, it's... As a matter of
21: fact. If you got twins, you can get two, plus your other five children. Right. Right. But uh, I found that the Bible only mentions abortion once time, and that's if a person that's not involved in the conception of a child causes an abortion maliciously, and the first thing I got about that is during the Civil Rights uh, War, and the Civil Rights was really taking hold, and uh, it took, I guess, some parishioners away from Jerry Falwell. Well, I read this book, and I can't find the book anymore for some reason, but uh, this man wrote the book. He was part of the meeting that Jerry Falwell held. To try to find some way to uh, pin off some people from the civil rights uh, movement, Mm -hmm. because there were a lot of ministers there, which gave it extra strength. But his idea was to bring abortion up in order to split the Catholics off from the civil rights civil rights movement. Interesting. And oh, go ahead.
0: Now, go finish your thought, Jules. You got ten seconds.
21: Okay. Well, no, that's about it. That's about it. I okay. Jules, thank you. Yeah, I, you.
0: it all started with Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan. You know, if you really want to know, in 1980, that was that was when it all started. Jules, thank you for the call. 27 minutes past the hour. Yeah. Why Why don't you get tax deductions for those uh, microscopic eggs that are fertilized? Really? We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925.
0: Maybe the GOP should pay for the storage. You could call it foster care, right? We'll be right back with your call.
5: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today on the Tom Hartman Book
0: Club is uh, Nina Burley. Uh, by Nina Burley. The title is Virus, Vaccinations, the CDC, and the Hijacking of America's Response to the Pandemic. This is from Chapter 1, Smash the State. There are many ways to begin to tell the story of why more Americans died of COVID-19, the disease caused by SARS-CoV-2, than in any other nation on Earth. We can start at the Washington, D.C. Hospital with doctors amputating the lower leg of the White House Chief of Security, a man who caught COVID in Donald Trump's mask-free domain. Or we could talk to the families of 46 veterans who died within days of each other in a Veterans Administration nursing home in Alabama. Or we could listen in on a therapy session with some of the New York City medics struggling with PTSD after helplessly watching some of tens of thousands of people die in a matter of weeks. Since this story involves mass death, religious zealots, and the worst case of government malpractice in the history of the United States, I'll choose the biblical opening. In the beginning, there was the state, and the ideologue said, let it be smashed, and so it was smashed. Dateline, Atlanta, March 6. Centers for Disease Control, early days in the, shall we say, crap show, Uh, Cameras are rolling. The journalists are penned off like lab monkeys, awaiting morsels of information about an increasingly confusing government response to an unprecedented crisis. A plague visits the planet. Not the long-expected brain-eating zombie plague, another one. A virus that starts out feeling like the common cold, then coagulates blood and makes lungs look like ground glass on x-rays. Starves people of oxygen sometimes even before they notice Americans are just starting to die Infested cruise ships are stranded in ports around the world No one has yet decided what to do or if they have to do anything Nobody in this great edifice of American public health the gold standard for the whole world Journalists will write again and again is yet wearing a mask The President of the United States is the MC clad in his casual costume he wears for events, slightly more important than golfing, but less serious than his official duties, including hustling foreign leaders and rousing the rabble at rallies. He zipped his White White House bomber jacket, retails at $122 at the White House gift shop, presidential seal above the left breast, over his gut. The effect is convex, truly bomb-like, containing the protuberance. Below that, a pair of khakis, white dress shirt, red MAGA hat, brim-cocked level just above the raccoon white circles around his eyes. The set for this show is a real lab. A table is laden with dozens of very large hand pump sanitizer bottles. There's a shortage of this stuff around the country right now. One more small crazy fact that is freaking Americans out. But there's plenty of it here by the president. The president will gesture at the bottles and remind the assembled that He never liked to shake hands anyway, and certainly doesn't press flesh as a politician, something he is careful to add. Most politicians do, but which is one of the myriad things that sets him apart from the odious herd. The other three men are more formal, as befits their position, hosts of this auspicious public health event with the leader of the free world. They wear suit and ties. Two of them have advanced medical degrees. One is a lawyer and a political appointee. They stand beside a man who has spewed going on 16,000 lies to the American public through the biggest bullhorn on the planet. The sensation of his nearness affects them differently on a spectrum from self-conscious embarrassment to toady awe in the presence of greatness to barely veiled terror. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, trim, bearded, a lawyer by training with no medical experience other than as a big pharma executive, gazes up at his boss with the eyes of a Labrador at heel. Centers for Disease Control Director Dr. Robert Redfield, whose white chin and side whiskers are trimmed in the fashion of a 19th century vicar, can barely contain the fulsome gratitude he will shortly pour on the red-hatted head. Well, I think I first, I wanna thank you for your decisive leadership in helping us, you know, but public health first, he says. I also wanna thank you for coming here today, and and sort of encouraging and bringing energy to the men and women that you see that work here every day to try to keep America safe. So I think that's the most important thing I wanna say, sir. A man named Dr. Steve Monroe, colorless and quivering, stands by. He's the guy who this morning has drawn the short straw, or actually the Harry Carey knife, in explaining to the media just what the hell is going on with the strange slow rollout of the CDC's COVID tests. In New York City, frontline nurses and doctors were about to be overwhelmed with a wave of people turning blue from lack of oxygen in their blood, whose legs were mysteriously filling with clots and turning black. 20,000 people would die while doctors tried to understand what drugs or procedures might mitigate the strange constellation of COVID symptoms. Victims endured horrible final days connected to ventilators their blood gelled in their veins. Their organs failed one by one within hours. The book Virus by Nina Burley. From international trade policy to immigration policy to housing, we've got all kinds of topics. The wars between Republicans and Democrats, the Republican efforts to induce fascism in the United States. A great selection of opinions will be found over at HartmanReport.com. From Los Angeles to Columbia, South Carolina, from Birmingham, Alabama to Baltimore, universal basic income programs are chalking up proof after proof of their viability. Basically, just giving people, low-income people, poor people, somewhere between $500 and $1,500 a month, no strings attached, is lifting people out of poverty, getting them back on track, getting them into solid middle class jobs, helping their children tremendously. This works. Now, we don't have to do UBI in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that doesn't have a national health care program. Health expenses are whacking a lot of low income people. We're the only country, developed country in the world that doesn't have free college education. Education expenses are whacking people. There's a lot we could do. We can subsidize housing. We can subsidize food. We do that with food stamps. We could expand it. There's a lot we could do to to, to benefit from this. There's a whole report about that over at HartmanReport.com. Check it out. Thirty-five minutes past the hour and uh welcome back covered a lot of territory today. Let's pick up your calls and see what's on your mind. William in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Hey, William, what's up?
14: Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, A couple things, I guess, uh, concerning the Christian uh, right, I guess it is, uh, and their vitriol and dictates that they're trying to put out, I wanted to make an analogy to, um, you know, how an animal, when it's trapped in a corner and it knows that its demise is imminent and there's nowhere to turn, it lashes out and it strikes. And I think that Christianity can be analogized to that animal in that it's it's in a corner. And I'm not going to say that it's the demise of Christianity, but it seems that those that are are leading the Christian cause are striking out as if they are caught in the corner and there's nowhere to turn. And so they don't just strike out and and cut you on the the leg, but they go for the jugular. And it seems like that's what the, uh, the powers that be are doing. They're going for the jugular. Yeah.
0: It's, I, I really mourn this, William, I'm, I, you know, the, the, this loss of, of Christianity in the, in the spirit of Jesus. Uh, you know, what happened was in the 70s and 80s, we saw the rise of televangelists, you know, Jim and Tammy, Tammy Faye Baker and all these other grifters. And that's, that's what they were. They were grifters. They had a, a, a religious shtick, but basically they were about making money. And they all became multi-multi-millionaires. And some of them, like Jerry Falwell, even reached out for political power uh, Herbert Armstrong, I mean, there was a whole crowd of them, and they corrupted Christianity. And then, you know, when people started pointing out the corruption in Christianity and church attendance started dwindling, church attendance is way down now compared to, you know, just 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and when church attendance started collapsing, the, instead of saying, gee, maybe we should have been teaching the stuff that Jesus was talking about, you know, care for your neighbor and love others as you, as you love yourself and that kind of, maybe instead of teaching that, we should just double down on hate. And that's what they've done. They've doubled down on hating, hating queer people, hating, hating uh, pregnant women who want to get abortions, hating liberals. Um, you know, just, they've just doubled down on hate, and hate is not, in my mind, hate is not, not the essence of Christianity. Uh, you know, you, you you find an awful right. lot of that in the Old Testament, but not so much in the New Testament. I mean, that's it's, and and uh, I, I just it, it saddens me tremendously. I. I there was a time in my life when I was very happy and proud to call myself a Christian. I, I awkwardly call myself a Christian now because I still, I still try to follow the teachings of Jesus. I, you know, uh, whether he was divine or not, all that stuff, I, you know, that's, we can have a debate about that. But, but the, the, his teachings specifically were brilliant. And, and they were the, the way to build a society that is caring and considerate. They were consistent with the values that you see in, in aboriginal societies all around the world throughout history. I think that they re- represent, you know, genuine historical human values. And uh, these people who call themselves Christians who are trying to impose their their bizarre will on us, their hatred of recreational sex, their their concern about women and minorities having positions of power and authority in society, they're just destroying, you know, the religion that I, I uh, once thought was pretty good. William, thank you. Well said. Dave in Lombard, Illinois. Hey Dave, what's on your mind today?
12: Hey, Tom, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, there's a common opinion out there that if Trump wins the next election, that uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and possibly Samuel Alito would retire. Yep. Because Trump can then name the next two right-wing justices. Yep.
0: So I've heard the same if, rumors.
12: Yeah. So if Biden wins the next election, they're not going to retire. And my opinion for them not retiring goes such that they would like to ride this billionaire gravy train for another four years. Yep. I like your thoughts on that.
0: No, I think you're right. And they're both in their, in their early seventies. And so odds are they will both live for another four years. Um, and you know, that, that's this, you know, this, this kind of highlights the folly of Ruth Bader Ginsburg thinking that she could make it through. Um, right. But, yeah. but it also, you know, highlights the, the crime essentially that, uh, uh that, um, Mitch McConnell committed when he refused to let Merrick Garland have that Supreme Court seat. I mean, that was just terrible. Yeah. And Mitch McConnell, yeah, by the way, to today, he, he announced that he's not going to—he's going to step down in November. Well, get ready for That's a major say. leadership yeah. fight. Rick Scott is the guy that I'm guessing is probably going to end up on top, but we'll see. We'll see.
12: Oh God, no.
0: Yeah, Skeletor, right? The, the guy who, yeah. whose company committed the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America, right. who wants to privatize Medicare yeah. entirely—that guy will be the new. Uh, Senate Majority Leader, Minority Leader, right now. We'll see. I don't think he'll last. Uh, you know, we'll see. Dave, thank you for that. Yeah, he, I don't think he has the skills. I, you know, I, Rick Scott is a little too much of a crackpot, but we'll see. Uh, Dennis and 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 Mitch McConnell arguably is the last of the old, you know, the old uh, Reagan Republicans. Dennis in Riverside, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today?
1: Uh, I was thinking that we're confronting an absurd situation where Donald Trump is still in contention. And you know, he's a fraud no matter how you look at him. Right. And it's it's bizarre that he should still be there. And I would blame the liberal democrats for this. Oh really? I think that they they haven't really been Democrats for a long time and they've got a long record of since Nixon of losing and losing again. They've lost ground, they lost landslide elections in the seventies and eighties. And uh Maybe it's time they look at themselves and ask themselves, what are we doing wrong?
0: So so your problem with the Democrats, let's see, is is uh, in fact, I mean, you know, we should just go through this. Um, when the when the Democrats rescued America from the Trump economic collapse, that was a bad thing.
1: No, it wasn't a bad thing. OK, when they rescued America from the
0: Trump COVID pandemic, was that a bad thing? No, it wasn't when, a bad When Biden thing. forgave $132 billion in oh, student loans, was that a bad thing? No, that wasn't a bad thing okay, either. Okay, when we then... had massive federal protection for abortion rights, was that a bad thing? No. I'll when we passed what, the biggest the climate values. bill in history, was that a bad thing? I'm not saying it was a bad when thing. When we put $2 trillion into infrastructure, Democrats, liberal Democrats did, and, and generated 14 million new jobs, was that a bad thing? Okay. I'm, you know, I'm just What'd wondering, you what is it? You know, you've got the lowest black unemployment in the history of the United States. That's a bad thing brought to you by liberal Democrats.
1: I'm not saying it's a bad thing. but You've got, you got America being respected nation.
0: again by the world. That's a bad thing. That's going right, to cause okay. us to lose elections. We've got a 3% inflation. Oh. That's you know, within the realm of the goal of the Fed for the last 50 years. I, I don't get well,
1: all it. All I'm saying is politically they keep losing.
0: He shouldn't I, even I'm be I'm not there. seeing that. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Democrats winning elections after election. Donald Trump is the loser. He lost, you know, the Republican Party lost uh, largely. In, I'm not in, talking
1: about just now, but throughout. They've been doing it for decades.
0: Well, Democrats he, and Republicans take turns losing elections, Dennis. That's the nature of elections. Thanks a lot for the call, Dennis. Cindy in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Hey, Cindy, what's on your mind today?
24: Hey, Tom, I just was listening to your show. I missed it yesterday because I was watching that trial oh, in yeah. Fulton County.
0: Yeah, I noticed our calls were I down. Was,
24: Yeah, I was wondering that this McAfee guy, i wondering why is he raking this fellow over the coals over, you know, who are you dating, when were you dating? Because they're trying to destroy the dating? reputation
0: of Fannie Willis and her boyfriend. Or her. now he's just her friend.
24: And see, I thought he was on the up and up. I thought it was legit until you said federalist, and I'm like, wait a minute. The judge, yeah. This has nothing to to do with, you tried to steal an election, and so we're going to let you get away with crimes because because somebody was dating the wrong person?
0: Yep, Scott McAfee was the president of the Federalist Society at the University of Georgia. He is a hardcore right-wing crackpot, has been his whole entire life. Um, they call themselves libertarians. And, and his, he set out to destroy the reputation of Fonnie Willis. And over the last two weeks, I think he's largely done that. She's going to, for the rest of her life, she's going to have to look over her shoulder. For the rest of her life, she's probably going to have to have security. For the rest of her life, when people see her, they're going to be talking behind her back about her sex life. And 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 you know and McAfee, this, this white judge is playing into all these god awful stereotypes of oversexed black people. Oh my God, they're having sex in the office. They're having sex in the in the hotel. They're having sex at her apartment. Right. Let's talk some more about black people having sex. It is it is disgusting what this white judge has done. It is filthy. It, it is racist. Absolutely. It is a high tech lynching. It is it, it 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 deserves to be condemned by every decent American, including you know any Republicans out there. And, and uh, I'm just, I am so disgusted that the corporate media, Cindy, thank you for the call, that the mainstream media in the United States is not saying what I'm saying right now, because it is so friggin' obvious. This is all about, you black woman, how dare you take on our white god? This is off. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. It's talk
0: media for the rest of us. I'll be right back with your calls right after this. And welcome back. Jane in Bend, Oregon. Hey, Jane, what's on your mind today?
15: Oh, my, so much. Um, Thanks for taking my call. And I am right now interested in your um, understanding or uh, opinion about the fact that actually, apparently, Palestinians have no country.
0: They haven't had a country since uh, 1940, whatever it was, seven, I think.
15: Right. And then there was another, um, uh, some kind of a legislative or... Uh, group that then in 1933 identified them as a not a, not a country because they have no geographic borders but I guess as a people well there was and, a Palestine <laughs> beg your pardon
0: there was a Palestine prior to World War One, if my memory is correct
15: with with borders
0: I think so Maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, I, I'm no authority on the history of the region, you know, prior to my own lifetime. I'm sorry.
15: Well, I've been checking into it because I'm, I am interested in where their claims for sovereignty come from. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Palestine is a is a Roman word. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the Romans identified the area with that word. Yep. You're right. And but never, so far as I can identify, has there been any kind of geographic border um, to de- define it as a quote-unquote state. Now, my concern is, or my, my interest is, um, I, I don't understand how, how Israel... Israel is actually, I think, given over Gaza to the Palestinian people that they identify. Is that correct?
0: Um. Sorry, I <laughs> got an ant on my on my uh, paperwork Uh-oh. here. Uh, y- no, uh, Israel has been uh, steadily, uh, remorselessly, uh, since the uh, since the '60s, I believe, or maybe since the '70s, um, essentially stealing Palestinian land. I mean, this is the settler movement that's been going on in the West Bank, where they just they just say, "Oh, that's yeah. a nice Palestinian house. Let's bulldoze it and take it over." And the, and the government has been looking the other way, and Netanyahu's actually been encouraging this kind of stuff. Well, it's still I, going you know,
15: on. I'm curious about how... I've, I've done a bunch of study, and, and when I was teaching, I um, looked carefully at why American Indians uh, were allotted uh, the ability to have their own nations, quote-unquote. Mm. And it is partly because um, the U.S. government in some of the um, bogus uh, treaties, identified them as a sovereign state, using the word sovereign. Well, they had to do that in order to establish a treaty. Well, right. But I mean to say, in order to identify them as that sovereign uh, state, um, that's what identified them as a separate nation, and they could claim and, and... Work on work from that point of view, right. and that's partly why they've been able to, and I believe me, I support this one hundred percent that they've been able to do um, identify their tribal boundaries in some cases as as part of their sovereign nation yeah. and build casinos and and all that sort of thing. Yeah. so i'm I'm interested in how and how we can on how Israel can Um, go after people that have no identified sovereignty. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I I don't know, Jane. I'm sorry. We're at a a granular level of detail here that uh, is beyond my knowledge. Jane, thank you for the call. Thanks so much for sharing our program and for reaching out to our stations and sponsors and letting them know that you're listening. It really means a lot to us. Welcome back. Ten minutes before the hour. Picking up your calls here, Bob in Rome, New York, listening on WMNF. Hey, Bob, what's up? Tom,
17: thanks for taking my call. Uh, I want to start with, I apologize, this is a different number I usually call at. And second, to say, I'm calling because corporations are people.
0: They're not people. They're, they're artificial, artificial people. persons.
17: I, 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 I know you know that. I've read your book and several others. And I want to recommend We the Corporations by Adam Winkler, Okay. which, which teases out how we got there. And as you know, corporations have been people since uh, Black
0: 1815. commentaries
17: on the law and common law. yeah.
0: Well, since 1815 um, in the Dartmouth case. In the United States, that's uh, that's when their personhood that, was first uh, established by the Supreme um, Court.
17: I, well, I I refer you to uh, We the Corporation, which goes back another 50 years. Okay. Um, but the the key, of course, the reason you bring this up is uh, Citizens United and Buckley versus Vallejo, and I agree. Mostly I agree Bellotti, with just about actually. all of your work. Say again?
0: Mostly Bilotti. Buckley didn't talk about corporations. The Bilotti decision was the corporate decision.
17: Yes. Uh, but how you get uh, them to have free speech rights in particular and what that means. Right. If we want to fight that, especially Citizens United, I, I want to say, I agree with your, just about your entire worldview, but the way we fight this, unfortunately, is not going to be with a constitutional amendment because constitutional amendments are virtually were virtually impossible 30 years ago when we still don't have the ERA uh, right. fully ratified.
0: Right, which has been going and on since 1879.
17: No way, uh, yes, but we're definitely not going to get a constitutional amendment. The only way we're going to get to fix this problem is by having us Get away from the oligarchy that runs America. Yeah. And the last time I called, I argued that we have an oligarchy. And you disagreed. I since have read your book and watched several hours of you on YouTube. And I think you agree that we're an oligarchy most of the time. By and most large, yeah. Most people
0: believe. Yeah, sadly. Now, yeah, Bob, okay. Bob Thanks. The, the, Thanks. You know, since we're delving into the details here of these decisions, in, uh, in Bilotti, well, actually in, in Buckley, Uh, They kind of pioneered this, and then they reprised it or revisited it in uh, Citizens United. The uh, five conservatives on the Supreme Court, the five Republicans on the Supreme Court, said they didn't say we're giving corporations the right of free speech. What they said was by denying corporations the right of free speech, we are denying human beings the right to hear what corporations say. In Citizens United, uh, in that decision, I, I forget who authored it, but um, in the main decision, but it, it comes right out and says that corporations are some of the most well-informed economic actors in American life. And therefore, you would not want to deprive American voters and citizens of the opportunity to hear from these very important economic actors. That was their argument.
17: I, yes. So how do you I blow agree. that up? So, well, I, as I said, I agree with you. On everything except corporations need to be treated as artificial persons for a bunch of reasons. Of course, and so I they can pay taxes. Yeah.
0: So they can be sued. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well,
17: uh, well, uh, no, because they have some privacy rights. They, they corporations need a bunch of rights, and I would urge you to get Adam Winkler, who wrote an astounding book on the topic. Yeah, no, I I, read I, your I know book, Adam. And I've, I read his twice.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, he's, uh, he's a good guy. So it's good stuff, Bob. I'm going to pull a plug on this. Okay. We're we're, we're just, descending into Bye. wonk here, and I I can just yep. uh, you know okay. notice people falling asleep. But thank you for the call. We'll continue the conversation another time. Claudia in Newport, mm-hmm. Oregon. Hey, Claudia, what's on your mind today?
2: Oh, hi. I was just um, uh, dwelling on the corporation argument, but <laughs> yeah. anyway, let's uh, switch gears for a
6: second. I mean, Lori Bertrand Roberts, that you interviewed uh recently today yeah wasn't okay. she great right? uh, uh amazing
2: from the mississippi reproductive freedom fund yep um somebody i and i don't know who but they need to contact her to ask her if she's willing to be a politician because she speaks well she's so smart and i mean really smart yep. and she has no fear of uh public speaking
13: yeah
0: no she did she did a great job um,
2: so and it, not only great, but if you if you look at it again, it's amazing. It is so amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and thank you for for, uh, you know, your kind words about her. That's that's good to hear. Claudia, thank you. Igor in Denver. Hey, Igor, what's on your mind today?
5: Uh, Tom, uh, I remember when I grew up, John Kennedy was uh, running for president and there was a big uproar and concern. About him being Catholic. That's right. And over the years, we've totally evolved to where we have six Catholics on the Supreme Court. Yeah, arguably seven. I believe a lot. Seven. Oh, seven. Yeah. Gorsuch, Catholics.
0: Gorsuch was raised Catholic. He attends a Presbyterian church now, but his his wife's church. Well, but he's still. I think he's still Catholic. His his mother was Catholic.
5: Well, I'm beginning to believe after all these decisions that the court has made, uh, they have very fascist tendencies to corporations over the people.
0: Yeah. And has has the pope taken over the Supreme Court? I don't know. Actually, this pope, he he would not agree with most of what the Supreme Court's doing. Igor, thank you. Thank you for the call. And thank you for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So get out there, get active. There's so much to do. Join indivisible.org. It's one. I mean, there's some great organizations. Move to amend.org. Um, uh, there's, get active. Tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and the people around you.
5: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit tomhartman.com.
11: America's economic and political inequality has led workaday Americans to exclaim, the system is broken, let's fix it. But there's another version of this protest that I'm hearing more frequently these days. The system is fixed, let's break it. That certainly applies to such rigged systems as money and politics and voter suppression, but it's also relevant to seemingly mundane matters that restrain our personal freedoms. One of the insidious fixes we need to break is the claim by brand-name corporations that we consumers must be banned by law from repairing the products they sell to us. The weak battery in your cell phone, the fuel sensor in a farmer's tractor, some gizmo in the toaster you bought, a fuse in your business's truck. You could fix all of these yourself or, with a little hassle, take the problem to a local repair shop. But no, such manufacturing powerhouses as Apple... John Deere and Panasonic assert that only their corporate technicians are authorized to open the product, which you own, to make it work again. So you are expected to deliver it to their distant facility, wait however many days or weeks they tell you, and pay an inflated price. They've literally fixed the fix for consumer products. They impose their control by making the products as needlessly complicated as possible, then claiming that the complexity is their patented proprietary product. Thus, they say, they don't have to provide repair manuals or sell repair tools to consumers or independent shops. Gotcha. To give their closed profiteering system the force of law, the Giants have deployed armies of lobbyists and lawyers to legislatures and courts, arguing that self-repair people really are scoundrels trying to circumvent safety and environmental rules. This is Jim Hightower saying,